0: Beep,
1: Welcome, bienvenue, ni hao, jambo, marhaba. It's time for the Armish Inquisition yet again, coming in your ears at 96 kilobytes per second. I'm Amish Phil.
2: I'm Amish Ben. And I'm Amish Matt. The dwarf, the cripple, and the mother of madness.
1: And we've we've got a, a bodified megalithomaniac on the line. <laughs>
3: we've got Ben from Uncharted X. How are you doing, Ben? Good, mate. Good. How are you guys? Yeah, good. Thanks, Ben. Excellent. Should, yes, great to uh, clarify. It's, it's not Amish Ben over here, I guess. No, you
4: <laughs> it can ben. be you can be an honorary Amish. Ben. Yeah, honorary Amish, honor,
1: yeah. Honor yeah.
3: Amish <laughs> for the day.
4: Cool. Amish Ben, uncharted <laughs> Uncharted by Amish Ben.
3: Yeah. uncharted Amish. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> something like that. <laughs> Amish X.
5: Yeah. Oh man,
3: <laughs> thanks for joining us tonight, Ben. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, thanks for the invite. Uh, I, I do a lot of I do the odd podcast myself. It's nice to. Um, it's nice to be a guest on one cheers that's quite um, a relatively new move isn't it the podcast it's been going for about a year now yeah yeah it has in fact i had no idea on the the metrics of them until i think spotify just finally released a little wrapped up thing it was my first view into the metrics and i was like oh geez there's um <laughs> there's actually a few people listening to it but i had a lot of requests people like oh i like your videos and, and this and that on the, the youtube channel i wish i could had them in mp3 or i'd listen to them when i'm driving or working or whatever so I was like, well, I, I kind of started it just, just by releasing the audio uh, for the videos. And then as time went on, I started doing more, more podcasty type content. And at this point I'm, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying it. And it's, it's, I think it's something I, I want to do a bit more of cause I'm a bit inconsistent. You guys, you know, it, it, having a schedule and doing it once a week, I'm like, maybe you'll come out once a month. Maybe I'll do two in a week. It's, it's all over the place, but uh yeah, That's I'm my therapy to... for us, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how much
1: yeah, weight uh, you can put into that. I've I've heard different people say how important consistency is with podcasting. Mm. Um yeah. one argument is is that it sort of builds a routine for people. Um we've had it before when we've missed a week where people have said oh, what what happened? I went yeah. to work on Monday. And they need that hit, don't they? Yeah, like, yeah, the like uh, methadone junkies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, you you've, you can only put out content when you have it, aren't you? And I guess there's there's a it's sort true. of a sporadic
3: nature to mm. your work in that, you know. De- you, oh, def- definitely. Yeah, consistency is not my middle name. Uh, <laughs> it's the nature of the videos and the stuff that I, like I'm the antithesis of the typical YouTube model too, which is, a lot of, you know, it's consistent uploads and doing it frequently. And, and my stuff's like, maybe you get one or two a month mm-hmm. and, and depending if it's a long one, it might be like one, make take me six weeks to make some videos and some of the research and there's the, the editing process takes forever. But yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like as far away from the regular YouTube model as you can get, but that's, um, it's something I'm trying to work on. I, I always try and do like, I think like, oh, I'll do this topic. You know, I, I want to get into this one particular aspect of something and it's, I'll make it like a 10 or 15 minute video and then through the research and writing, it just gets brought longer and longer, you know, and ends up it's happened a couple of times where it, like like some of my longest videos started off as a well, I'm gonna do a fifteen minute thing about, you know, tube drills or something like this. And then, you know, an hour and an hour and fifteen minutes later, there's there's this basically a documentary on it. But um, yeah, wow. it's it's uh it's a challenge sometimes. I, I'm trying to get better at doing the shorter content, but I'm forever like, oh, I need to provide all this context and I want to give you the like all of the information around how I'm making these arguments and stuff. So it's the way it goes. Do
1: you think there is sort of a sweet spot when it comes to sort of length of videos in that, you know, it is difficult to grab people's attention, isn't it, for a long-form video? Do you think maybe there is a sort of a nice middle I, ground?
3: It's it's difficult. I I, I have... I, you see both sides of it, uh, I, and I have some shorter videos. I, I do have some. I mean, my shortest one's like seven minutes, and then I've got some in the fifteen to twenty-minute range. But my most popular stuff's definitely the long, the long format. And I get a lot of comments, people, because I complain about it in the. I do these little postscripts in the videos, and I'm like, oh, I'm trying to be faster and do shorter stuff, and you get all these comments like, no, no, we love the the long form. So it, I think there's there's an audience for both uh, on on YouTube. Like, it's just there's people that like the long form stuff, and then there's people that prefer the shorter hits i think it's you know people depends on how much time they've got to sit down and, and get into something uh so I, I see both sides that i can't really make up my mind some people are like oh you should do shorter videos but a lot of the feedback i get it's like that people seem to like my stuff being in that longer format and it's it, it's more my nature too to i guess do those those longer kind of more detailed things this is how i write because yeah. it's all it's all about writing really uh my stuff at least it's all scripted uh, it's research and writing is the vast majority of the work and then it's it might be, you know, a, a week of video editing at the end of it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I'm trying to I'm trying to cover both bases, but as you say, there's you know, there's only so much so much you can do and you can only really do content when you have it. So
1: Yeah. Well um, look at look at yeah. Joe
3: Rogan. I mean, you know, if he was before he was <laughs> before his podcast sort of blew
1: up, if he'd gone to a TV company or a radio company and pitched mm-hmm. it like, I'm gonna yeah, do yeah. three and a half hour conversations one on one. It mm. would get laughed out of the building, wouldn't it? But yeah, it's the biggest podcast on the planet. It's massively successful. I think, people are yearning. Yeah. People are
4: yearning mm. for depth, aren't they? I think that that's what I was going to say. Is it's a lot of stuff on television, isn't it? It's either half an hour or an hour. Mm-hmm. But we, you know, doing a podcast or doing something on YouTube, you can make it whatever sort of time length you want it to be, as long as it kind of that's addresses right. the subject. And I think that, like loads of people have said that, haven't they? About different kinds of things, essentially that they want
3: the story told properly rather than just fit to a schedule kind of thing yeah, I, I absolutely i think you're right and and that's and, and rogan's a great example of that i think that was always missing that in that in-depth the, the ability to get in and explain a lot of context and, and really explore angles on stuff versus like a, a news interview like you know five minutes with someone and hey, we're out of time and thanks <laughs> yeah. for coming on and we'll move on to the next thing give us your sound bite, and and go ahead like Fuck. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think it's that new media and and particularly podcasts and this I think this applies to the audio podcasts in particular um, and maybe also and to some extent the some of the YouTube stuff fits into that too. But yeah, I I, I think it's people like that. I, I agree. And so I've I've stopped caring too much about it. I about the the length of stuff. I just you know I try and make my point and write what I got to write. And, and t- as long as I get as long as I'm happy with it at the end of the day, that's that's what it ends up looking like. So. We not please everybody. We haven't even like talked about what your videos are about. <laughs> yeah,
1: maybe we should say
4: that first. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for those sure. who
1: are listening who are sort of uninitiated in the alt history sort of YouTube, yeah, community, you know, maybe just give us a you know an idea of what it is you're exploring, what your videos are and that you're making, what
3: subject matter. Sure. Well, yeah. So it's the the Uncharted X channel, unchartedx.com is the website. All my videos are there. It's the, it's uh it's up on YouTube, but mostly. I, I'm exploring uh, a lot of the the evidence for, uh, in a lot of ways, ancient ancient high technology on a lot of these sites, getting into a lot of the mysteries and the unknowns uh, with, with all of these different ancient civilizations. I've spent a lot of time traveling and filming to all of these sites and investigating them kind of firsthand. So it's all a lot of my work's video. It's all my own footage and uh, and and it's used to, to back up a lot of the points that I'm making. I do these deep dives into a lot of the historical accounts that, that come into these sites from uh, you know, either either ancient figures of of record, or or even like people from, you know, the Victorian era and, and Egypt and Egyptologists like Flinders Petrie. Uh, so it's it's like a deep dive into particular topics uh, on a lot of sites, and it's not not I don't just focus on kind of ancient civilizations. I think it's I think we're at a point in with with looking at our past that there's a significant case to be made for just rewriting the origins of our history. Uh, Uh, overall like not I'm not talking about modern history or even the ancient history as we know it going back to to ancient civilizations I think it's I think that the part that we're missing is this um, the beginnings of civilizations and the possibility that you know we humans have been here for longer than we think we've risen we've we've developed civilizations before and then we've been struck down by cataclysm and there's this case, it's not—it's not purely just. Well, there's all these little bits and pieces on these ancient sites. You know, it's—it's it's got a lot to do with adjacent fields of science, which I get into. Things like, uh, you know, the, the Younger Dryas cataclysm, all of the the paleoclimatology work that's happened. A lot of this is new science that's happened in the last fifteen or twenty years. Uh, we have a lot of genetic work. We're, we're proving that the the um, the human timeline is getting longer and longer. I mean, we thought for a long time that we were fifty thousand years old as a species. Now we've got. Human bones. I think the latest one in Morocco was was something over three hundred thousand years old. Um, you know, there's DNA evidence that shows that we, us and the Neanderthals, split with a common ancestor uh, as far back as eight or nine hundred thousand years old. So that's kind of like a potential window for our species. And we know that there was a massive cataclysm that happened around twelve thousand nine hundred years ago. Uh, that coincides with a a massive extinction event as well. And this is, you know, and the science that shows what happened is is pretty much all happened since around 2006. And then you you kind of have this other element of like, it it matches exactly what like a lot of the um, ancient civilizations themselves say, you know, the Egyptians call themselves a legacy civilization. You you can't, (laughs) you can't find any ancient culture or even ours for that matter, whose religion doesn't talk about their ancestors, either going through massive flooding or massive fire, uh, basically civilization ending and then barely surviving it and being forced to start again. Like that's, there's all of these vectors, I think that point at this, this idea that, you know, maybe we've been here uh, for longer and maybe we've risen and been struck down um, by cataclysm and, and been forced to start again. And then all of recorded history, as far as we know happens, you know, uh, civilization allegedly starts around 6,000 years ago, which is, you know, six and a half thousand years after the younger drys event which wiped out all of the megafauna of North America and, and Europe and all all those types of things. Um, And then, then the other element to me is all of the contradictions in the story of history and the evidence that the older and the further back you go, the better the work is there's, there's tremendous technological evidence in, in a lot of these sites written into the stonework itself. Like there's some achievements in the ancient world and particularly the early earliest parts of it that are really inexplicable by the tools and the techniques that we we, we know about in the, in the archeological record. It's, it's um, you can't really explain the, the pyramids and the massive granite objects of Egypt, for example, with, with copper chisels and pounding stones. So, uh, you know, if they didn't use those tools to do it, then the whole inheritance concept, this idea that maybe they inherited some of this stuff, maybe they got a kickstart from their ancestors, which matches what they say, by the way, uh, maybe there's some validity to that. So that's, those are kind of the topics that I explore and, and dive into and there's all sorts of nuance and different, different elements. Like I spend an hour talking about tube drills or an hour talking about the, the saw cuts and the evidence for that because there's a really fascinating history with a lot of these things and there's a lot of, a lot of detail to be explored and, frankly, a lot of unanswered questions um, that just be just generally ignored by the mainstream. Yeah, one of the common
1: things you hear about is a sort of uh, like a, an emissary come in uh, right. Like Viracocha or Quetzalcoatl, Viracocha. or um, I guess Osiris, I guess, or maybe Thoth. But that seems yeah, to Thoth. also be a common theme about you know someone coming and teaching the people that they find how to sort of reboot civilization. Mm. That's what we think. But right. but the the sort of rules of agriculture, how to establish a civilization mm-hmm. and stuff. This seems to be a common thread that God comes around.
3: It, it does yes these these great civilizers and these these great educators come in yeah you, know, you mentioned a couple of them um uh you know imhotep may have been one as well we don't know but uh certainly um whole uh, jesus 1st we're, we're a kosher sorry Holtep jesus old, old, <laughs> jesus <laughs> yes indeed um yeah but these these guys do like that's a possibility i think and in a lot of cases i think that's so if you think of this category, like the human race didn't die out, although there's funnily enough. So if, if you go with the idea that call it a land call it whatever you want. So call it like a pre diluvian civilization. That was global. It was seafaring. It was high technology, not our form of technology necessarily, but you know, another, another, um, avenue of, of technology. It seems, it seems likely that they, they had abilities to work in stone and do things that we don't know. There's, all sorts of evidence in ancient maps that show that they, they knew the shape of the world, the dimensions of the world, they could navigate effectively under understood longitude, which is just a tremendous challenge. They understood the, the cosmos. Uh, but so if you assume that, 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 that cataclysm happened, then maybe some small pockets of that civilization may have, um, may have continued to exist, lo- lo- losing capability, but, but surviving and retaining some knowledge. And then, you know, as humanity comes back up and you hunter gatherer stone age kind of people, uh, grow in population enough, then it's like, okay, now it's time to, to go out and try and kickstart humanity again. And that, that's where I think potentially some of these tales come from. I mean, Wiracocha. one of the things they said about him, I always find this fascinating is that he moved in a boat that didn't have sails and it made snakes of the water, which, you know, <laughs> it's describing a wake uh, of a boat, like a powered boat. There's there's all sorts of these types of accounts. and And you, you can go back to sites like Göbekli Tepe as well, where you, you, all all sort of everything gets turned on all at once. It's like agriculture, you know, um, judicial systems, almost um, trade, like all of these different aspects of of civilization just seem to emerge all at once in a lot of places. And it's and, and it may come down to somebody coming in and and uh, and and organizing and and kicking it off again. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. It seems likely to me. And you know, what's interesting is that when you look at there's a, a recent study came out and they didn't really link it to the younger Dryas, but, but there's a, a study that shows that human, po- there was a huge Y chromosome bottleneck bang on with the younger Dryas. So we had this massive population decrease, particularly in, in the male population uh, just on or just after the, the younger Dryas. So it's, it's like, we went through this, this cataclysm as well. Um, of course they, it's a weird, the, the study authors kind of put it down to this somehow global change in cultural, and breeding patterns uh, all around the <laughs> world, and all these unrelated unrelated um, uh, and untouched sort of sort of different diversities and genetic groups, but it just it correlates bang on with the younger dryers. it's like well no we got we got smacked around too
1: oh and, and, and we managed uh, to overkill every large megafauna on the planet <laughs> yeah. simultaneously yeah. I remember That's... do you remember when we had George Howard on the Cosmic Toast
0: mm-hmm. He talks oh, yeah, about yeah. the three
1: the three ideas o- overkill
3: over ill yep. and over grill and yeah. we're over, over grill. grill we all got grilled <laughs> yeah it's crazy it's it, when you when you really get into like what species went extinct it's literally it's equivalent to the number of large animals that are on the planet today so heart so every like i think it's over 40 kilograms in body weight like so every species today of, of that's over 40 kilograms in body weight that's the amount of species that went extinct back then like in in like a very short period of time right down to like it included a few species of birds like three or four species of birds and yeah so it's like all of a sudden just this stuff just disappears and it's you know just a bunch of apparently paleo indian sort of hunters roaming around and, and once you, you sort of get into some of the mastodons and you look at this there's entire islands in that in that arctic region made up of nothing but mastodon bones like there's millions of these animals <laughs> And you're also talking about some of the, the biggest, most savage animals that have ever existed: the short-faced bear, the American lion, way bigger and mm. far more scary than the, the predators we have today. I think I don't think we were the top of the um top 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 of the uh, what do you call it the uh, food chain top of the food chain at, at that point in those days. Yeah, it's it's kind of the, the overhunting hypothesis is. Yeah, pretty ridiculous really these days i mean
1: surely that's being rolled back now is it or are they still clinging in clinging on to
3: all for kill they there are certainly people who do and uh, there and there is there is a bit more people suggesting like rapid climate change may have been the result which is which is probably true like a bit more more you have almost destructive climate change in terms of like the sky's literally falling on your head there's certainly plenty of evidence for that um you know randall carlson he he has some fantastic examples of this. There's there's a, a few areas where you have these mastodon skeletons that have uh, have been obviously well preserved. Uh, there's this one in particular. I forget where it is. It's somewhere in the northern United States or up in Canada, I think. And then and what happened is you you have this jumble of mastodon bones. You've got like this this mastodon's hip up near its is up near its head and it's it's all smashed up but but the feet aren't so what happened is this mastodon was standing in this in this mud like a like up halfway up its its it its legs and the only thing that are preserved are the the bones in the feet and it and all of those femurs and those leg bones were sheared off they were snapped straight off and then the rest of it was just smashed up you've got hips up near its head so it was literally hit by this blast so it, there might have been a cosmic airburst or part of this series of impacts that, that likely caused that whole Younger Dryas mm-hmm. ca- catastrophe, you've got evidence for that in, in some of these bones. And it's just, I mean, you know, it's, you, it's not just mastodons and things either. You have trees and, and forests that are all smashed up and, and mixed in with these bones. Like there was a a real cataclysm that happened. And uh, and you wouldn't have been able to survive it standing, you know, probably half of the continent, Um there's evidence for this all over the place. The Carolina Bays, is, I think it's one of George's favourite topics. Yeah. Um, if you look at some of the LIDAR imagery from space uh, or, or just from the, the flyovers of that, which is these, these series of elliptical bays that are all over the eastern uh, seaboard of the United States, and these are likely the impact of ice boulders that were thrown up as secondary kind of splash damage from an impact into the Laurentide Ice Sheet from so, sort of a, a cosmic impact. So all this splash damage comes up. It's like a six-minute air time, like flying all all uh, six-minute sort of subor- suborbital trajectory, and all of this stuff just splatters down across the East Coast, and it's overlapping everywhere. It's it's literally saturation bombardment. Uh, you couldn't have survived it. Like the, I think a lot of these is, are probably contributors to that megafaunal extinction, but then, you know, yeah. you have consequent massive climate change. It plunges back into um you know the the depths of of arctic sort of glacial um ice age winter you have massive fires at the same time uh you had the sun probably died out for long periods of time you have uh you know this this and this affected uh, life and everything as far down as south america um south africa uh we've got studies from the younger drys in both of those places now i mean you had I think it was 10% of the biomass of the planet was burning at one point, which is a crazy number.
1: What's and the weather yeah, like, love? Oh, it's, it's just raining <laughs> icebergs. Yeah, there's just huge you ice boulders. <laughs> <laughs> it's
3: mental. Yeah. That's it hailstone, is. isn't it? And a half. That's, yes. Well, yeah. I mean, some of these impacts on the Carolina Bays, I mean, you're talking like a, a couple of miles long and a mile yeah. wide kind of thing. So it's, that's a big chunk of ice <laughs> causing that.
1: And, of course, we have the – this leads into sort of the flood myth, doesn't it, because we have meltwater pulse 1B, Yep, which we, right. uh, a lot of people sort of tie to these flood myths. Maybe this is where it comes from. It's some sort of cultural memory from all those millennia, but going
3: back. Indeed. I have a whole video on it called, I think it's um, Miss Gods and the Younger Drys Cataclysm. And it looks closely at, at the, I think in a lot of religions and, and books and these stories that we have, a lot of that is almost eyewitness accounts of what happened. In, in, particularly in like, in I think it's um, uh, Revelations, uh, I believe anyway, but you have these, you know, the second angel sounded his trumpet and, and a fiery mountain fell from the sky and eliminated all of the, the rivers and the land. And you have... Yeah, the 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 Bhagavad Gita in um you know in the, the Hindu traditions they have they literally talk about swarms of meteors coming down from the sky you, you have some really interesting accounts of 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 flood and then and also fire uh and it seems to me that that these are you know encoded kind of eyewitness accounts of things that happened uh and it may not necessarily have always have all, all traced back to that younger Dryas either like the, uh something that George Howard was involved in recently which I found to be fascinating I talked about it on my last podcast was they may have found that the biblical Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah, mm. uh, at a place called Tell el Hamam in Jordan, and this it it you're talking about like 1400 BC, uh, but this place was hit by uh, what there's a lot of evidence, and this is the result of years of study, and they, they published this paper that they worked on for years, but this city that this this they call them tells, but it was the largest city in the area at the time. But there's, uh, it, they dug into it and they just found all of this melt glass products and all of these like airburst products and extraterrestrial platinum and iridium and these huge burn layers, smashed up people, basic and, and looking at you're talking about temperatures in excess of of two or three thousand degrees Celsius. So, you know, this was this and then they it may well be the biblical Sodom. It was hit by a, essentially a cosmic airburst and for an area of about like a you know a diameter of I think three or four hundred kilometers. It caused this over over salting of the earth, and for like I think it was a couple hundred years, you couldn't do anything there. You couldn't grow anything there. It was it was it was yeah. like a complete no go zone, and it it turns into this you know, and God rained down fire and brimstone upon Sodom and Gomorrah, and it's that's how we remember these things and encode them into history. I think. Uh, I don't think we give our our
1: ancestors enough credit. I've probably said this a thousand times uh, about how good oral tradition is and using song as well as an important component uh, by using song and committing these Mm. stories to melody makes it a lot more easy to... Remember. Remember and then transmit forward. And if yeah. you haven't got writing, if, imagine you know we're constantly distracted, aren't we? We're trying to mm. distract ourselves with screens or books or yeah. whatever. Whereas when you're in that sort of situation, that would have been your probably your main form of of entertainment would have been singing songs in the cave or, or doing cave yep. art or whatnot. So
3: singing songs and story. doing cave art. Yeah. Yeah. Storytelling. Yeah. That's that's exactly right. It's, it's, it's that oral tradition. Like this is how we encode and remember data. Like we don't just remember, you know, you don't just tell people facts. It's, I think a lot of these stories you you, you can't take them literally, literally uh, true, but it's, I think that's how you get a lot of this deification and personification of stories like events get personalities and they get attributed to people and whatnot. But, but the, the essence of I think what happened in a lot of cases is, is in there. If you, you dig enough, there's, there's grains of truth in stuff, um, so it's yeah, I th- and that's exactly what you would have done with with oral traditions. This is before writing, as you say. Uh, so these are stories that would have been told and retold and passed down through generations, and making them memorable like that. That's how oral traditions work, mm. and that's at the root of you know our current religion and everything else. Like there's uh, a lot of that oral tradition gets into the books that that we have today and these stories. Um, yeah, and I, I think there's definitely all sorts of um, truth and 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 actual historical record in these in these in these books i mean you, you can't do archaeology in that middle eastern area without referencing the bible there's people use that constantly it was one of the things that the critics of, of that tell al hamam um study threw throughout them like they're saying oh this is just like biblical stories and this is just like these guys that are religious and they're they're pushing an agenda i mean that's absolute nonsense every 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 archaeology or archaeologist that does work in that area, you use that you use the Bible. There's a lot of historically accurate information in there, uh, locations and you know valleys and mountains and, and and you can you can correlate what you're looking at. It's it's a it's a legitimate resource. It's one of the best preserved books from ancient times. There's other sources too, but you know they just knock them for saying oh these are just Bible bashing people that 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 are you know have got an agenda or whatever. It's just the typical kind of criticism that gets thrown up on Twitter free of context
1: <laughs> yeah it's another common trope isn't it that we i remember hearing from when i was a child that the bible was the old testament was just pure fairy tales mm. it was um, complete analogy there was nothing you know it's essentially right. all made up um but from studying you know i've done a little bit of studying on the old testament listening to uh courses by old testament scholars and whatnot and there's so much to be gleaned from it um, mm-hmm. the problem is 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 context and figuring out which bits were written when who wrote which bits what what were they trying to communicate when they were writing Mm. these bits which bits were written in the exilic period when the israelites were trying to preserve the cultural history you know Mm -hmm. it's such a complicated um subject and for people to just write it off as as fairy tales is yeah heinous
3: i think it is yeah, it's silly. I mean, and to be honest, that, that Tell al hammam story too, they literally they they only briefly address it. They say this may be <laughs> the the biblical Sodom, but it's outside the scope of the questions that we're asking. And then, then it's mm. it, it's there's 30 40, I think it's like 50 pages of 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 this detailed kind of analysis into the strata layer and the impact yeah, proxies and all of these out. shock synthesized nanodiamonds and and mm. magnetic spherules and all of these things that indicate a cosmic impact. I mean, that that's the real science behind it you know like this legitimately happened and there's you know there's there's we know these things happened and and it just seems like events like this happened a little more frequently than we thought they did uh Mm. and and certainly there's another one recently came out about the atacama desert so this is this in some areas of the world you have this desert glass right which is basically melted sand that's hot enough to turn into into this glass that can become like a semi-precious uh substance but they've they've recently did some analysis in the Atacama desert in Chile and they put that that airburst that created this glass they thought it was maybe grass fires or something but again this is you know it's all permeated with platinum and, and all this extraterrestrial elements it's clearly in fact it matched perfectly with one of the there's a recent NASA mission uh to 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 sample a comet or something so it, it basically matched the type of stuff you see on on cosmic bodies and they they pinned it right around that 12,000 year time frame so it's it's within this this one period of of kind of, you know, uh, recent trouble that the planets had probably. And the whole, the whole younger dry impact series is likely the biggest thing to have hit the planet in the last 5 million years. I mean, that's, yeah, it was, wow. it was a, a truly catastrophic event. It wasn't just one impact either. It was likely a yeah. series of impacts could have been spread out over a hundred years as well, as we went through a particularly busy part of the Torrid meteor stream. So this is likely where they think the source of these cosmic bodies was, was in something called the Torrid meteor stream, uh, it's the broken down elements of of Comet Enki, and we pass through this stream twice a year, so the planet sweeps, you know, goes through it twice a year, and it, you know, there's a possibility that there's still some sort of large chunks lurking up there uh, in that stream. But that's that's where the I think the best science, at least the best uh, indication, is of where this came from. But yeah, thousand 12, 12, years ago, we might have gone through a particularly busy part of it, and it it just uh, really knocked the planet around.
1: I, I, sorry, go on, Matt. No, I was just
3: going to say. I was just wondering. You know, it, it points
4: towards to, to some sort of collective denial that we can be affected by things that are not in our control, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. Essentially, we don't yeah. want to believe that something like that's going to happen to us and, and wipe us out and get bad, rid of everything. Bad, bad news, fear this. Plan, this planet is not a closed system. <laughs> <laughs> that's things that's right. can come yeah. in. You know, it is. Easy. I don't know if that how much that has to do with it. You know. That we just don't want to admit that we're just so fragile. If you admit, that means you have
1: to start doing something about it. It, Yeah, that's it. Rather than spending money on... Bang. Tanks and nukes (laughs) and, and airplanes. Exactly. Yeah. You might want to spend exactly. some money, well, you know, looking up at the sky and waiting for the
4: next. I am sure fiery death to come. And- I am sure <laughs> there is um, some kind of probe being crashed into an asteroid yep. to
3: see if they can change
4: its yep. trajectory.
3: Yeah, it's great. Yeah, I'm. I'm pleased to see those sort of things happening. In fact, and what yeah. you just said is exactly. It's not. I've been meaning to do like the why this is important video because that's exactly why it's important. Like why I focus on the evidence for. Uh, ancient sort of high technology civilizations that have been knocked down because as you said, people don't seem to realize that this is it. And I think it's, I call it like a fundamental tenant or or a pillar of Western civilization or at least modern civilization is this sort of it, people don't actively think about it, but we kind of are raised to believe that we're on this sort of like a preordained path from the stone age to striped toothpaste <laughs> as John Anthony West would say. Um, and, and we're, you know, we're, we're, we're in the right direction and this couldn't happen to us, but it's, I think if more people realize that, you know, we just know it's this cosmic hamster wheel of, of, of cataclysm and civilization and we're just on the latest revolution and we've risen before and we've been struck down before that it's an altruistic goal. But I think overall, if more people realize this, it may help to change our priorities as a species. And as you say, spend a little less money on tanks and nukes and maybe a little bit more, you know, working together. Cause Long term, the answer is we have to get off the planet. eventually, we've got to, if we want to survive as a species, we've got to spread out. Um, and, uh, it, but that's, you know, that's, that's, that's the real issue. Like we have, and it, the funny thing is, it's the cosmic impacts is the one thing that, as you say, we could, pr- one natural disaster or one massive cataclysmic disaster that we can do something about. We can't do anything about earthquakes, mm. volcanoes, hurricane, tornadoes, you know, hurricane, cyclones, stuff like that. And but, you know, cosmic impacts cause all of those things, by the way, and, and pretty much all of the biggest extinction events throughout history have been have been caused by cosmic impacts. Like it's far and away the biggest threat to life on the planet, like you super volcanoes and things. Yep, they can go off and they can they could maybe kill a continent, but they're not going to wipe out the whole planet or they're not going to wipe out like life on the planet. And all of the big events, the big uh, in- extinction events have been cosmic impacts. And that's, you know, it's it's. It's inevitable. With the, the time frame goes, if you the longer out in the time frame, like the probability is going to go up to a hundred that it'll happen again. Eventually, it may be millions of years away, mm. but it will happen. And um, you know that's that's the that's the challenge. As, as Randall Carlson likes to say, we're basically a sitting duck in a cosmic shooting gallery. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> that's a key point that
1: we've spoken about before about technology not being a linear progression. Yeah, And we've come across it on the uh, podcast. We've, well, we've not really done one on the Dark Ages, the European Dark Ages anyway, although we've talked about it briefly. Mm-hmm. But we've got the Greek Dark Ages, mm-hmm. if or, mm-hmm. whether or not they happened, depends whether you like David Rowell or not. Yeah, And we had the Bronze Age Collapse. We are at Klein.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, that was a whole interconnected network of civilizations, the mm. the Mediterranean G7. And, you know, a lot of them never came back. You know, Mycenae didn't come back. The Hittites didn't come back. Mm-hmm. Only you know, mm-hmm. really, only Egypt sort of came out. You know, looking decent. And it can. Yeah. We, we've got to get this into our heads uh, that we're not we're not guaranteed this continual progression and things are going to get easier and easier. <laughs> we're we're one one fragment of a comet away from uh, yeah. going back to Stone Age. End of the day. Well,
3: yeah, or or self inflicted. We're in the Great Silicon Collapse right now. Probably who knows. <laughs> Like Christ, try and try and buy a graphics card. To your baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: one thing I wanted to ask you, Ben, was um about Robert Shock's idea of the younger drives, because he's he's sort of from the the latest I heard was that he's not really into the comets. He's he's proposing like a solar, thing? solar flare sort of mm-hmm. thing. Have you yep. looked into that at all?
3: I have, yeah. So so there's I, I think absolutely the sun has played a role. Um you know, we know about events like the Carrington event, right? So we have, oh, I think this hmm. is an event that fried telegram wires and stuff. And if it happened today, it'd probably knock out the grid at least in North America. Um, and and we're learning more and more about the sun. Uh, you know, there's the possibility of things like micro novas and 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 certainly big, huge solar flares that can uh, create disaster. And I, I I think there's room for both types of 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 cataclysm. Uh, you, you can, d- I think there's absolutely that the sun may play a role in this. Then we are learning more that there may be cycles of the sun, like long-term cycles of the sun that that may uh, affect the planet. Like we don't, you know, there's a whole other, the Ben Davidson suspicious observer stuff and, and uh, Jean-Pierre Robillet, I think his name is like some really interesting, I think, alternative science that's that's gaining some traction here and there and that a lot of that's looking into mechanisms of the sun and perhaps larger even larger systems that involve not just the sun but the galaxy and and like current sheets and all this sort of stuff i th- so i think there's a possibility for it but i don't uh i don't think there's much evidence that supports that hypothesis specifically at the younger dry boundary I, I think that's You know, you're talking 160 plus peer-reviewed papers now of some pretty Uh, impeccable science that points specifically at impacts. Like, not to say that solar cataclysms don't happen; they could be flares. You can also have like cosmic impacts into the sun that create some of these uh, effects that then hit us. Um, You know, it's it's concerning. There's there's a few things going on on the planet that's like you know we've got this increasing uh, weakening of the magnetic field uh on the planet and so i don't know if you've looked into this stuff like the uh the magnetic field and, and the magnetic north and, and south are, are wobbling they're moving like magnetic north now not even in the the arctic region um it's it keeps moving and now and the the speed of the decline of the strength of our magnetic field is increasing uh so it's it's like it's the, the decline in strength is getting faster and faster some people think maybe we're heading towards a pole, pole shift
1: oh my but if God. that happens
3: and say we if we get like a a, a solar flare or a solar event during that time when we, when we have a, a um, like a weakened magnetic field, then yeah, that's, that can be, that could be a real problem. And you can, I know about this other stuff, like this huge terrestrial lightning strikes that can happen as maybe as, as part of that, that generated from the sun. I think there's some interesting concepts there. And I know where, where Robert shock goes with that. And he looks at some specific evidence at Giza uh, in Egypt that, that may correlate to some of that. And it's, it's possible uh, that maybe if that place is indeed far older than the, the mainstream says then maybe that actually has happened there uh but i think for the younger Dryas, for me it's i think far and away the, the the evidence now points to this this idea of uh cosmic impact and i think we even have like things like craters like the Hiawatha crater which they're still working on dating they haven't they haven't drilled the core of that crater yet they've they took some core samples like 50 miles away from the crater and looked at stuff but they haven't actually gotten in and and drilled the core one thing we know about like the Hiawatha crater in, in greenland is that all of the ice on top of it is, is 12,000 years old. So it's like, you know, this ice, like it, it kind of almost dates itself to that, to that period. Um, you have other, all these other effects where I, I think there's Randall Carlson's working on, uh, his thesis about all of this. And I've spent a lot of time with Randall, uh, in the last year and, you know, he's, he's looking it up to, I think 10 different impact sites. And he's got geological evidence to kind of support those. And they're all kind of lined up in, in a line. A lot of this is on top of the ice. So it's, you know, you don't have exactly the the kind of impact crater that you might see if it, if it just hit the the land mm-hmm. um so yeah i think there's a lot of science behind um the impact theory for the younger dries. i mean I, i'm at this point figure it should just about be mainstream science but you have this <laughs> you definitely have some people that are insisting on it being nonsense and funnily enough a lot of those people are are like archaeologists and anthropologists um in particular there's there's one guy john hoops that 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 keeps editing the Younger Drys impact um, hypothesis page on Wikipedia. <laughs> I, did, I got into this with him in a live stream. He called me out on Twitter. We got into it because he was calling like George Howard's website, the cosmic tusk. And it, on, on that website it's, he has a bibliography, right? He has yeah. like, the bibliography of all of the papers around the Younger Drys. And this includes the ones for it, the ones against it and all of the responses. Now it's overwhelmingly for, you know, it's, a, it's all mostly for, and, and all of the, the negative ones have had a response that I think, comprehensively responded to them but it's just a list of these papers and john hoops was calling this biased like saying oh this is absolutely biased and this is the younger Dries is nothing more than ignatius donnelly like recycled comet myth and if you want an unbiased source or information on the younger Dries, go to the wikipedia page and he's pointing <laughs> everyone that talks to him on twitter go to the wikipedia page and i'm like all right let's go and if you go and look at the editing history of the wikipedia page it's all john hoops is like editing the whole thing and he's calling it like an, a don like a recycled ignatius donnelly Common is- myth, and he's ignoring all of the science that happened. I mean, yeah. everything you can ignore everything that happened before 2006 when it comes to the science on the younger drys. It's all, it's all pretty impeccable at this point. Um, so, I think that's some of these type of figures are, are probably the ones holding it back from being real accepted as mainstream science now. Uh, and I, I think their motivation, a lot of the archaeologists and Egyptologists, they don't like it because of the implications it has for mm. the story of history and of civilization itself. And um, it's it's a significant clangor in the in the, in the the story of civilization.
4: I think also as well, it's something that, you know, a topic that we've talked about a lot. Is, it's people's careers and livelihoods as well, isn't it? And, oh, yeah. you know, if they've got oh, a textbook absolutely. out saying X, Y, and Z, and then they find out it's A, B, C, um, that's right. they're screwed basically, aren't they? And, you know. People have invested
1: um, their entire lives.
4: Well, that's what I mean. Yeah, you know, so you, yeah, you started studying yeah. it one way, you've done your PhD, you've added to it, you know, and... You write your textbook, you, t- you s- do your, your lecturing and all the rest of it. And then all of a sudden, all this other evidence comes. And you think, oh, f- fuck. Oh. Yeah, so <laughs> you just got to... Yeah. You know, what you got to do is go on Wikipedia and start editing a page like a petty little... Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's it's tra- that's tragic, isn't it? <laughs> tragic going to the Wikipedia. I mean, because Wikipedia is so well known for its oh. uh, accuracy, isn't it? In his first place, but that's you know where I
1: mean? the problem is. That's where everyone goes. Yeah, yeah. And a lot it of is, people yeah. believe it. Yeah. And we've <laughs> seen it. It's not just this subject; it's all yeah, sorts of stuff. many, yeah. yeah,
4: yeah.
1: You
3: know, any anything that's anti-establishment gets it's it's tough for it to get a decent hearing on Wikipedia. Mm. Like you, you can, it's good for basic facts and figures in a lot of cases, but there's it's definitely like an establishment machine and what you said is exactly right about the, uh, the establishment. I mean, part of the establishment the nature of establishment it's itself is to resist change. So you have, and the way I look at kind of the, the mainstream established Egyptology, archaeology, anthropology uh, field is very much like you might look at priests of of a religion, right? These guys, it's not a hard science. It's not like physics or chemistry where you can do experiments and hypothesis experiment result kind of thing. Um, it's 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 a it's an interpretation of a very loose and sparse set of evidence, and you build a story out of all of this evidence. And these guys, the uh, they're like kind of the, they're the experts in this story, and their their livelihood, their their personal sense of probably of self worth, and their, 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 their who they see themselves as is as the experts and authority on this story, and it's very much like a, a priest in a religion. So when you come along with something that that threatens the story. And like it's going to pull the rug out from under the, the bottom of this story and to, to some to some respect i mean that's why you get this vitriolic response and it's like that's why there's not a lot of civilized debate uh there's not a lot of real uh investigation of these issues because i think it's it's personally threatening to a lot of these people um that said i i do have some hope and, and this is like was it plank's Planck's constant, like um, you know, science advances one funeral at a time. But I have—it's not just history either. This happens in a lot of fields. But I have some hope for the next generation of archaeologists because I've been contacted by a lot of students, um, like Egyptology archaeology students, uh, as uh, you know, who who are who who have—they really don't have any any choice but to be confronted by some of the very good evidence that being, that's being presented by guys like Boval, Hancock. You know these guys that are writing these books and and posing legitimate questions. Now, the establishment like Lainer and Hawass and, and these guys in the field kind of grew up and they could ignore the the, the alternative side of things, uh, and and so they're, they're going to continue to do that and dismiss it all. But I think the next generation of 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 academia and next generation of establishment have have really not had any other option but to pay some attention to that and they're asking the questions in class you know, they're reaching out, they're evaluating it. So I, I have some hope that there will be at least in the future, some, some more open-minded kind of dialogue and investigation. Cause that's what, that's what this really needs. I think there's, I'm not claiming to have any answers. Like my whole channel's basically asking questions. I, I occasionally I'll speculate as to what, what were these giant boxes in the Serapeum for, or, <sighs> yeah, I, but I'm, I'm, I'm certainly looking at like how it's not possible that the Egyptians made them. So what's these other explanations for it? How can we find out? And, we could find out we could apply ourselves Have all sorts of modern technology and tools and techniques that we can apply. And we can go look in these places and do the proper analysis and, and and we could definitely learn stuff, but because it's all just put in this primitive box, like, no, 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 it was copper chisels and pounding stones, bro. Like that's how it's done. Like case closed. We just don't go there. We, We can't look at it. Like there's, there's, there's no end of things we could and should be doing on these sites, but because they're, they're controlled by these academic, Uh, institutions and in some cases, government institutions that have no interest in exploring these questions, they won't do it. Uh, It's super frustrating. Like I I think, yeah, I'm hopeful in the next 20 or 30 years, we'll actually start to, to, to apply ourselves and, and look at some of these questions. But you, in order to do that, you have to be open to the possibility that it's something other than what you, you say it is right now.
1: And th- these guys are often the gatekeepers as well, aren't they, for for academics and researchers? You know, especially mm-hmm. in Egypt, if you want to—I don't know what yeah. it's like now—but if you want access to certain areas, you've got to go through Zahi Awas. Otherwise, you won't well, get yeah. there. I don't know if it's
3: yeah, better now. He, he, right. Sorry to interrupt you. Um, He's—he's right. um, he's not the—he's not in charge of the Council of Antiquities anymore. But but um, there's a new guy who seems to be a little more open. He's at least he's opening sites. But Zahi's still a powerful figure uh, in the. He still he still has a lot of a lot of weight. He's just still a bit of a swinging dick over there. But he's um <laughs> he's uh, but yeah, and and that's the issue. Like you just you can go to sites and you can get special permission to see sites, but in terms of doing work and actually investigating mm. and doing some of this stuff, even non-invasive stuff, that that's a long process. You have to be partnered up with an academic institution, and then they have to partner with the um, Council of Antiquities. It's one of the issues. It's like. Like when I, I did a long documentary about tube drills and, and these, these core drills that, that are made into granite and these incredible, uh, what seems to be evidence of a very advanced form of, of stonework. And the only reason that, that we could even have that documentary and the only reason there's ever been any work done is because there's one core that Flinders Petrie found that's now located in the Petrie Museum in London and they allow researchers to actually analyze it and look at it. There's dozens of these things and dozens and dozens of of the holes that they leave on Egyptian sites and in Egyptian museums that we could go and figure this out. Like, we should be doing the same sort of analysis to those, but no one's allowed to touch them. No one's allowed to see them. You can't do any of this work to them, you know. We could be scanning the statue faces with LIDAR and really understanding the perfect symmetry that's on them, but we just, none of that's done. Um, It's crazy. And to be frank, there's there's also even evidence of them covering up uh, when, when, when when a scientific expedition comes up with a result that they don't like, they, they suppress it. There was uh, one of the videos I have is about the the discovery of the labyrinth. Like if you guys have ever heard of the Egyptian labyrinth, like it's the most, one of the, the most famous structures from ancient times uh, reported by Herodotus to be grander than the pyramids. It's like thousands of rooms and in, in multiple levels in this underground structure. It's like the, one of the biggest lost and, and rumored um, uh, fantastic kind of constructions, ever to have existed it's, it's reported by Diodorus siculus herodotus a whole bunch of historical figures had seen it and it was lost to the sands of time they found that damn thing in at hawara like there was they partnered up there's something called the matahar expedition they partnered up with the egyptian um council of uh, antiquities and they found it at hawara it's it's at the site where petrie thought it was and they did all this did four or five different techniques ground penetrating radar and all this acoustic stuff and they found it and the whole report got suppressed They, 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 the whole, all the team members got threatened by Zahir was with national security sanctions in terms of like, you'll never come to Egypt again. We'll put you on the blacklist. And, uh, and they, and they suppressed it. And this is part of the deal. Like if any academic institution that works with them, you have to partner with the the authorities there because, and then they control the release of information. So uh, I have a whole video on that, on that labyrinth. It's, 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 it's amazing. It's like the, probably the biggest discovery of our time, and it's just, it's currently sort of rotting away in the groundwater. I was just um, wondering, you, Hawara. what was the
4: motivation for uh, stopping its publication that, that they found that?
3: So some people think that it's, well, that, you know, they don't want it. Um, it's going to have in, in, evidence of all this other stuff. I actually, I think it's political. I, I think mm. the problem with the labyrinth and Hawara is where it's located. So it's at the site's at something, it's at the neck of something called the Fayum region, which is like a, a a massive agricultural region in, uh, in Egypt, it's a depression off the Nile that gets a lot of water. Mm-hmm. And so it's this huge farming area and, and it's kind of, you, you've got this water table issue, uh, in a lot of Egypt now, and that's a consequence of them damming the, yeah. the Nile at, at Aswan. So mm-hmm. in the sixties, they built this massive dam and, uh, they stopped the inundation of the Nile, mm-hmm. uh, sort of North of there. There's no Crocs North of there now too, but, but, right one of the consequences of that was that you, you remove the dry season and the dry season was the thing that was keeping the water table down. So no more dry season means the water table has been rising. So you, you have, and that's why we've got like, they worry about the Sphinx and they worry about other areas because the water table has been, been creeping up in the last you know, 50, 60 years. And at Hawara, you know, you've got you've got a couple of problems. One is that you know the water table at about five meters below ground. The labyrinth starts at nine meters and it goes down from there, so right. it's underneath the water table. So, a, you've got a problem with well, there's this is like this could be a tremendous con- bad consequence of them damming the Nile that they could face some yeah. blowback by. Yeah. And the other problem they have is that in order to fix that and to say drink because it's a huge site, you're talking mm-hmm. acres and acres of this site, massive site. It's like like. 20 30 football field kind of yeah. size. You would to, in order to like fix the drainage on that site it's millions and millions and millions of dollars like extremely expensive and then you'd have to mess with the probably the irrigation there's a big irrigation canal that runs right through it it's called the Barwadi canal and it's been in place for 150 years and they'd have to start messing with the the mm. irrigation water that's going mm. to all these farmers that feeds the country and I I think what happened is when they found this they probably had some discussions and said this is just too big too expensive too much bad PR, mm. just never happened. Very. and and I think, and we don't want to mess with the farmers and the irrigation rights and all this sort of stuff. And it's just, it's a shame. I I do think that that there'd be an, if they did it the opposite way and they said, look, we found it, we need help. I think there'd be enough interest in 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 mm. institutions all around the world. They could probably get the funding to to yeah, do it. Go fund To, do me. It right, to yeah. like divert the <laughs> irrigation water, like not cut off the water and then drain that site and start excavating, and yeah. it could be. It would be the biggest discovery of the century, I think.
1: Yeah, when we had David Rowland and I asked him if he could go to any site he would take in, a his pump, yeah. in his pump in its pomp, he said the labyrinth. Mm. While yeah. Um just yep. going back to the, the granite cores. Yeah. I'm a, a tradesman, a freelance tradesman, and my least favorite job <laughs> in the entire world <laughs> is drilling four inch holes in red brick. Yeah. Now Uh, And I have electric, I have an electric drill, I have diamond-tipped drill bits, Mm. and I just hate it. I would just rather pay someone else to do it, or just run away and just go home and cry. I just don't want (laughs) to have anything to do with it. So please explain to me how the fuck
3: you drill a a core hole out of granite. Yeah, it's it's crazy uh, so there's there's a there's a lot to this so there's there's a couple of different types right so the detracted the, so the the main the mainstream explanation for this and there's been some experiments done is that all right you have a copper tube you get sand and water and you 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 put a bow drill on it or whatever and you, you go back and forth right and you, you grind you use you use an abrasive powder like sand or, or whatever and the quartz bits in the sand eventually cut the thing and it just slowly 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 goes down now that's that works, and, and people have been doing that for years. Lots of civilizations have used bone or other sticks to, like, grind holes into stuff very slowly. There's another type of drill hole at, in Egypt, and these are ones with very discernible and definable striations, and they're spiral striations on these insides of these drill cores. They're like 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 these lines, these grooves. And they have a they have a particular angle, and and they're suggestive of the fact that this whatever was cutting this stuff was basically going through it like butter. You're talking about, I mean, something like like an inch of, of an inch of of vertical, like downward travel for you know the drill going like 12 inches, uh, in terms of circumference. So it's it's and there's an angle. So and this was kind of it's all proven by Chris Dunn. Petrie proved it back in the day. He measured these things, looked at the angle, did like the, followed the destroyations. Chris Dunn's uh, made latex molds of these things. And, um, and, and the, the interesting thing is it's, it's something like uh, when you compare the actual penetration rate, it's 500 times greater than we can achieve with our modern technologies. Cause we have these high speed drills that, 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 you know, penetrate into this stuff, but they spin really fast to go down and do it. And so you can measure kind of that penetration rate, Based on you know horizontal travel or circular travel, I guess. so, so these, these these tube drills in Egypt are indicative of something that's about 500 times more effective in terms of how it penetrates into the, into the granite. So how they did it, we, we don't really know. There's a lot of speculation as to ultrasonic drilling methods. Um, that's certainly something that's interesting. The, the snake bros have talked to a, a jeweler who, who uses ultrasonic mechanisms to kind of embed uh, pieces uh, into stone it's kind of like the Excalibur thing and and you stop this you stop this ultrasonic piece and you you can't you cannot extract this drill bit from the stone um but it does go through hard stone if you you find the right frequency um uh to to vibrate that thing at that's a possibility Chris Dunn speculated it could be some sort of thermal uh thermal lance type stuff where it sacrifices itself um Petrie Petrie when he looked at it he he was trying to cast it in the concept and the, the times of like the, the Egyptians. He's like, well, maybe these were bronze tubes with jeweled tips of some unknown material. And even then he's saying that it must've had like five or six tons of pressure on the drill to actually penetrate <laughs> like this. So there's a huge mystery um, around this. We don't know how it was done, but there's certainly some evidence that it's not, uh, it's not this grinding method that works. Right. Cause everyone's like, Oh, you can do it with grinding. It with sand and a copper chip. Sure. You, yeah. No one's saying you can't do that. The, the challenge is the results don't look anything like what we see in Egypt and there's been a bunch of experiments in the 80s the Penn State University over here did uh, did an experiment where they gr- they gr- they grinded sort of tubular drills into granite using a whole bunch of different abrasive um, uh, substances and then they looked at the results on an electron uh, electron microscope and all this stuff and it's just you have these very fine concentric rings. Um, and It's a completely different result to these these spiral grooves that you get in, on these drill cores in Egypt and in these drill holes. Now, the, the issue is we've only really got the one piece to analyze, which is the Petrie's core. Right. It's called Petrie's core number no. seven. That's in the Petrie Museum. Uh, there's there's a whole bunch of these other like, just the core piece that breaks off from inside, right? Because these are, these are hollow tools, and uh, there's a whole bunch of these other these other cores that are in the museum, and there's holes all over the place in places like Abu Sir. I think all of these should be. We should be analyzing, and we should be doing latex molds, and we should be looking at much more closely than what we do to try and find out what's going on there. But um, the 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 mainstream insists insists that it's not a spiral groove. They don't want to go down that path of it being a spiral groove because it has all these implications on technology and things. So everywhere in the mainstream, you see even with the Penn State test, they said, "Oh, we just Petrie's core has horizontal like circles on it. It's not not this spiral groove, but." It's been conclusively proven that it's a spiral groove and that it's, it's something else is going on here, but yeah. And they went so far as in a tech, and this is a point of this, this this documentary that I get to and something Chris Dunn pointed out that in, in the very few textbooks that do talk about these methods in the modern times, they took a photo of Petrie's core and they, they, they tilted it. Like in the textbook, it's just slightly tilted to give you the impression that the grooves on it are horizontal and he, he showed this in in his book by actually cuz he went and analyzed it and he's he's like taken a ref he shows you the, the 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 drill core with like a reference frame around it and shows you that they literally tilted the photograph in the uh, in the textbook to make it look horizontal kind of shit like that so yeah there's a real mystery around these these tube drills um, but we don't know how they did it but they evidently had some method of doing that we don't of, of drilling that we don't we don't understand. I expect, I expect we just go to
1: Wikipedia and that'll have the right answer, <laughs> won't it? It might.
3: I don't know. If I'll, do it, anyway, I'll look it up after this show. Yeah, just look it up before. Yeah. Yeah. Well. yeah. Oh, um, you'll, you'll see all sorts of fun. <laughs> um, met, so I got, oh, sorry, I've got I want, lots of... Have you got like <laughs> critics that have made videos about it and everything? <laughs>
1: I, just wanted to, I just wanted to ask Ben about the, the boxes he mentioned, the, the Serapium, the granite boxes. Please the, ask oh, him yeah. about his boxes. The giant granite boxes. Tell us about the giant yeah, yes. granite boxes
3: from someone who's sitting first hand. Yeah, it's my favorite site, man. The Serapium, something else. People don't know about it. It's weird. Um, I think it's one of the most impressive and probably the, the the most amount of like smoking gun evidence for something else going on. So the Serapeums located at a place called Saqqara, which most people may know as the the home of the Step Pyramid, uh, the fir- allegedly the first pyramid. There's, it's a huge site. There's all sorts of stuff at Saqqara. But so it, the Serapeum there is this underground. There's nothing to really see on the surface. You go down these series of steps. There's a door. You go in. Uh, but it's this underground series of galleries caverns really that have been carved out of the bedrock and they're really these aren't little tunnels or you could drive a volkswagen down these tunnels but inside this 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 huge uh galleries and tunnels you have 24 of the the, the biggest single piece stone boxes you've ever seen like some of these boxes you're talking 70 tons and uh and a lid that's around 20 to 30 tons so 100 100 tons all told uh single piece so not like bolted together these are carved from a single piece of, of stone and precision carved too. So the inside corners are just perfectly 90, you know, they're, they're perfectly square and uh, Chris Dunn's been down there and measured them with some precision tools. There's, there's, it's one of those things I wish more people would would go and measure these and look at these a little, more, a little more closely, but they're incredibly impressive. And not only have they been precision carved, you have them also being machined and finished like a mirror polish, which is not a natural quality of granite and it's not granite's kind of like an overlaying term somebody's a granodiorite they're syenite, they're they're all incredibly hard types of stone uh six and a half seven on the most scale type of stuff um so there's there's a whole number of un, unanswered questions when it comes to the serapium it's like what the hell are these boxes doing down here is one but you know how were they made how were they transported to the site? then how were they dragged down into these tunnels and put down in these alcoves because they're you have these main tunnels and then it's off to the sides. You have these alcoves, these rooms where these boxes are housed and they're like six feet down in the ground. So these boxes have been moved in through these tunnels and then lowered down sort of perfectly centered in these alcoves. And uh, you know, what's impressive is it's kind of the biggest, there's a few different ranges of sizes, but the biggest box in there has something like a foot of clearance um, relative to the, the tunnel that it had to come through to get in here. So I kind of, I always imagine that clip from the movie, from the, the Friends show where they're trying to, you're trying to take a couch upstairs and pivot. turn a corner, you know, pivot, pivot, <laughs> pivot. You try and get that box in there. So it's, you know, it's, it's, I think it's, it's a fascinating sight. Like these, they're incredibly impressive. And there's no horror. There's, out of all of the 24 boxes, you have two or three of them with some hieroglyphs on them. Uh, and the one that's most famous, it's, it's literally covered in this these, the most awful chicken scratch hieroglyphs you've ever seen like literally just there's no straight lines it's it's flake it's like little chips and it's just it's basically been vandalized but the entire site is and all of the objects in it is dated and related into the story of history based on what's written on this box and it's obvious to to a child that the the people who made these boxes didn't have anything to do with the, the the chicken scratch writing that's been put on them but that's it's deemed the most valuable one because of this writing and that's, that's kind of how a lot of people don't realize, but that's kind of how a lot of the, the Egyptology and the story of that civilization is, is put together. It's like the writing is what's used. Like primarily if, if there's writing on stuff or in a, in a site that, that they can date to a particular era and a particular pharaoh, mm-hmm. then that's, that's, what it, what, that's what it is. That's, that becomes all right. That guy had that built. He had all of this stuff built. This concept of inheritance and, and stuff maybe being older or stuff that was written on again later, uh, doesn't really come into the the picture, even though there's this evidence all over the place for this type of thing. You it's not just these boxes, you literally have statues that have four or five different names on them. And there's plenty of cases where you can see that names have clearly been added later over original features, things yeah. like this. But yeah, the Serapeum's crazy. Like they worked on them down there too. like there's unfinished boxes in the hallway. there's one there's one left in a hallway it's unfinished so they weren't just moving these finished boxes in there they were working on them down underground there's no soot on the roof we don't know how they lit it up um they must have had light like it's it's so many questions with the serapium um and there's just no good explanation for any of them and it's just you could not have moved those boxes in there with using manual manpower. it's just literally not even close to enough room you're talking hundreds and hundreds of people would have been required to move one of these boxes even a like say a 50 ton one which which is on the smaller side for some of them. Um, you know, we, we did the math when we were down there. It's like 50 tons. That's 50,000 kilograms. Uh, you know, say one person can haul 200 kilograms. That's a, that's a heavy load. That's still 250 people. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's just, there's no room for that sort of thing. You just, it's crazy. And, yeah, I, I love that place, man. It's it's that's the place I like to take people. It's, and show them like this, you know. Figure this out. Like, there's there's no way you can do it using the the, the primitive tools and te- techniques and technologies that we know uh, the ancient Egyptians had. So there has to be another answer. I I always come back to well, there's there's two possibilities. Either we've massive and either of them lead to like we need to rewrite history because either the either the dynastic Egyptians if they could do it then we've massively underestimated their capability, their knowledge, their skill set, their tools, yeah. or they didn't do it, in which case maybe they inherited it and, and you know, there's, there's lots of other evidence that points to scenario B here, but in, in either case, you know, we need to kind of rewrite a lot of what we know about that early part of history, I think.
1: Yeah, the chicken yeah. Str- scratch is outrageous. I mean, if you think <laughs> yeah. these are like highly polished, immaculately constructed boxes... Um, to then finish finish them mm. with this sort of horrible graffiti, it, it makes absolutely zero sense. And for the mainstream to use that to put them in context, and the same, it's the same with the Sphinx. The, the you know the conventional dating of the Sphinx oh, is yeah. so flimsy, based on oh well, you know this pharaoh says it's a Khufu, whoever it was, he's got a date here on a steli or whatever. Well, oh, well, it must be him then. He built it. You know, it's just, yeah. again, it goes back to interpretation. What you were saying before about archaeology and Egyptology. It's a, uh, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, it does. And, and I mean, and that's the thing, Sarah, there's, there's really only most of the boxes have no writing on them in the Serapium. And even on the one that does have writing on it, there's an empty shin, like there's a, an empty cartouche, which tells you that the priests were writing on it. And they were going to sell that thing to whoever paid him enough money. They dedicate it to them. So they they'd written all the stuff on there and then there's empty cartouches which would no. would have names added in later like it, based on who they're selling it to like because there was a priesthood that, that ran that place later in time and that's that's how come they they kind of date it to like the the i think even the new kingdom they might date that site to, but yeah it's there's, and there's obvious evidence for renovation but yeah this this is the this is the issue like there's there's so much of that stuff it just gets ignored i, I one of my recent videos was kind of looking at the the obvious evidence for um you know reuse and and renovation on a lot of things like statues i think a lot of these giant statues that even today we people think Ramses the second is the greatest of all the pharaohs the most powerful guy he, he was the best pharaoh because all these statues are of him and all of these sites are of him but you, you there's so many examples where he's that's all inherited and he's had his name added later and he was notorious for doing this we we kind of it's a dirty little secret in Egyptology. People have known about it for a long time, but they just kind of ignore it. No, nah, it's Ramses. Even though you can see, like he's written his name over the name of, I literally have examples of where he's erasing hieroglyphs to adding add his own name. And he would make sure to carve his name very deeply into these statues just so people couldn't do that easily to him. <laughs> Although his son, Maren Patar, did start doing that to him as well. Like he learned from his dad. And then he was, his son, once he started ruling, was doing the same thing to, to Ramses. But you know, today we just attribute everything to Ramses the second and it's nonsense. Like there's, you know, there's so many of those examples where it's like, we don't know who built the statue or, or who originally wrote it. And there's also so many other examples of things like that Serapium box where the technology in the writing and the inscriptions doesn't remotely reflect the technology that's evident in the object itself. So you can't say that the same technology nor even the same people, I think, did both of those pieces of work. And there's nothing to me rules out the idea that this is an older object that was inherited, found precious, the king grabbed it, and then he had his name written on it or he had, they put their words on it. And you go to the Egyptian museum in Cairo and you pay attention to that. And you look at the perfect straight lines of the objects. You look at the reflective shiny surfaces and then take a close look at the writing, which is clearly hand done hammered. You can see it's just not polished. A lot of the lines are like wavy. They're not straight yet whoever built these objects had the ability to do both those things like they could polish fine inside surfaces like the little details on fingernails and belly buttons like they, they could have polished the hieroglyphs and they could have made them with straight lines um so there's there's a massive technological mismatch uh, on a lot of these objects and that, that's one of the things that i spent a lot of time kind of pointing out yeah. um yeah you know we've blown over an hour already ben and we've only talked Sorry, about
1: easy.
4: we've only really talked about Egypt you know? yeah, no. we got on to yeah. South America no we can do that it. next week with you Ben yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah It's yeah, uh, anything
1: sure. any final thoughts you want to leave us with or, uh, before we sign out
3: uh, no I mean I just you know it's a fascinating subject I think uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, check it out yeah. I've got a lot of videos that get into it it's some of them are deep dives I've kind of I've got a, a few things that that try to lay the case at, at a high level but yeah i i uh I, it's a the more you look into this topic i think the more fascinating it becomes um absolutely uh at least that's certainly been the case for me uh yeah. you know and it's like yeah. i said we just talked about egypt you can see similar things in places like south america and and whatnot there's there's a tremendous amount of evidence to me that points towards this idea of well there was somebody else running around on the planet doing some pretty sophisticated work you know long before long before we think uh civilization ever started and um yeah, you know, something happened to him and, uh, and we're left with interpreting the remnants of multiple <laughs> civilizations and thousands of years of building and destruction and quarrying. And, and it's, it's a, it's, it's a tough, tough thing to figure out, but it's, it's a lot of fun looking into it. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> Fascinating stuff, isn't it?
4: Yeah, definitely. You definitely have to come back sometime in the future, Ben. It would oh be yeah. Yeah. love to. Yeah. yeah it was great
1: to. fun. Really enjoyed it. Don't forget mm. to check the, um, all the links out in the show notes and find Ben's website on Chartered X and, uh, the youtube channel and everything it's uh it's brilliant it's great it's great being able mm. to see the stuff on video as well and see it close up and yeah really makes such a world of difference from either you know listening to a, a podcast yeah. or reading a book actually seeing it in in glorious technical well yeah i was fantastic. just gonna say
4: your your introductory video is about 20 minutes long it kind of just mm-hmm. puts in context the whole kind of argument and stuff and i found yeah. that really helpful it's helped me with a lot of like stuff that we've Thank talked you. about yeah definitely absolutely yeah. i highly recommend it yeah
1: and it's, it's great because um, I, I was thinking earlier, you know, we're, we're all big fans of, um, we're both big fans of Graham Hancock and Randall Carlson oh yeah. and, and, you know, uh, we at the risk mm-hmm. of sounding morbid, these guys are like our dad's generation, right. you know, okay. yeah. they're not right. going to be around forever and it's great to see guys like yourself who are picking up the torch and going to carry it forward because... Mm you know we need it there's so many questions that need answering so it's really important i think it's really important what you and the other guys you know like snake Bros and that are doing bringing this into light, in, information to light so
3: thanks so yeah, much a, and uh, it's been great
4: yeah
3: yeah man Thank, thanks for having me on yeah i, I appreciate that and, and yeah happy happily happy happy to do it again uh, at some <laughs> Absolutely. point yeah. Great, fantastic! Awesome. Thanks, yeah. Excuse guys.
1: All right, stay on the line for us while we play ourselves out, and uh, we'll catch you on the flip side. Don't twist that dial. No.
0: <laughs>
1: right, then we're back. The dwarf, the cripple, and the mother of madness. That's our chat with Ben from Uncharted X. Yes.
2: fascinating again as you know i, I think sometimes these guests I, I know i sit in the background and just kind of absorb all this
1: through emails
2: fascinating stuff <laughs> yeah yeah do some emails clearing some spreadsheets all that sort of jazz um but absolutely fascinating every time and that was no exception really good so yeah. you should check out uncharted x on um on youtube when you finished watching all the uh Amish position
4: Yeah, once you get through 210 episodes of the Amish Inquisition, then transition over to Ben at Uncharted X. Yep. Um, And like I I reiterate, if you're a bit confused by everything and the whole kind of this uh, sort of alternate history thing, his 20-minute video just puts everything into context about how things have shifted and, you know, the directions of his kind of work and other people's work and stuff. So I'd recommend that. Such a a good
1: grounding, isn't it? Rather than having someone like me, just verbal diarrhea. Granite blocks. Uh, (laughs) They're not fucking tombs. Uh, 2.1 million blocks in 20 years.
4: Uh." Yes, that basically. And I've had four years of (laughs) it. The 20-minute video by Ben just uh, solved it all, basically.
1: Yeah, definitely. Check that out. It's definitely a good uh, good, uh, introduction, isn't it? Yeah, for, the, uh, for, definitely, the, for yeah. the novice like Matt. Yeah, for
4: me, basically.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is. It's great. And uh, his, his videos are quality. They're well worth yeah. checking out. Yeah. Um, there's such a great sort of burge, burgeoning community in this sort of uh, area of YouTube. Of Yeah, there seems to be, doesn't there? Alternate history and, and, yeah, you know, these, these megalithomaniacs just jumping around the yeah, planet looking like at
4: weird shit. Matt Apocalypse, we didn't even mention him, did we? Matt Apocalypse, yeah. Yeah, we should, yeah. We should hook them up. Yeah, another young up and coming whippersnapper. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Yeah. Right then, should we move on? Moving on.
6: Housekeeping. Housekeeping.
1: This is a value for value podcast. If you find this podcast valuable, please consider returning some value. Yes, same I, as uh, Ben. Ben from Uncharted. He's a value for value content provider, creator yeah. as well. Yes, he's, in, he's he knows the score for reels. Yeah. Uh, what's my my favorite way of providing value is word of oh. mouth. Oh,
2: Phil, you've gone really loud. I don't know if you're leaning on a button or something.
1: I think it's probably Zoom. It's probably Zoom. I
4: don't, Oh, oh, look at that.
1: Peak. peak. Oh, yeah. it is.
4: Oh, it's all gone red oh my gosh what if
1: do, happens if I do
4: that mm.
1: oh that's better. no it's just echoey now no no oh, it's not
4: are you picking that's up better. on my mic that's better. yeah what's that all about
1: uh, oh it's OBS again um, see I'm too quiet for the podcast now because um, I'm monitoring in real time look I'm sure it did this last week you know
2: strange
1: something happened last week something to do with that that house corning <laughs> it just fo- <laughs> OBS sees it and it just says oh no starts frigging out and peeking. yeah uh, yeah, word of mouth. If you like, if you know, if you know someone who like enjoys podcasts, enjoys yeah. the sort of subjects we cover, the guests we have,
4: send them a link and say, "Check this shit out." Check yep. it out for real. These idiots, bruh. Yeah, yeah, yep, bruh. Um, my favorite way is the same way that we got Ben today from uh, guest suggestions, and the Ooh, easiest yes. way to do that is to look us up on Discord, which you can find in the show notes or on our social media links via LinkedIn the link tree that's what it's called isn't it Mm. link tree yep discord's the
1: best place if you want to send us uh, show artwork show artwork yeah
4: how many pixels Ben go doesn't matter yeah but that's what's going to test him on 1600 that's going to test him on that whether he remembered that it doesn't matter anymore Would you like to see the show artwork for episode 210? Live reveal. Ready? Will Ben see this? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) I'll describe it.
2: No, I might do. I know I know. No, you won't.
4: (laughs) Three, two, one, go. Okay. My
2: eyes.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Is that an ankh? It's an ankh in the middle. It's an ankh. And then underneath it says Uncharted X. And then Ben Van Kirkwick. Kirkwick? Yeah, Quick. Um, we didn't ask him his, his, his surname, and then we've got also—is that the Eye of Ra? And then Horus, Horus, whatever, same same dude, and then the Sphinx, and then some hieroglyphs. Yeah, nice. So Horus lost guy. an eye, you see. Ah, right, okay. Battling his uncle, avenging his
1: father. Okay, like I mean, in Star Wars, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. okay. It's, it's a universal myth, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Set killed Osiris, scattered his body everywhere. Isis collected all the parts. Like you do? Re- reanimated Osiris right, okay. just long enough to knock one out and get impregnated. Mm. Gave birth to Horus, and then Horus avenged her father's death, but lost an eye in the process. And that's why we have the eye of oh, Horus. Right, okay. Right. That's where it comes from. Yeah.
4: And the Sphinxy Poo's there. Mm-hmm. I think it's lovely. It's a lovely bit of show artwork. It's different, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. All right, I'll take that. Let's make it disappear.
0: You...
1: that's it classy what else can you do on the discord send us memes from instagram for instagram yeah. uh, you can request a birthday shout out we don't have any birthdays this week
4: no one's birthday no one's
1: but birth- no one was born no today this week um, guest suggestions we've covered jingle requests views if you're, if you're a regular donator yeah on the layaway on the f- you know £5 a month £10 a month whatever uh, request a jingle or a uh, mashup of jingles that tell a story yeah. and we'll be happy to
4: oblige one a month though <coughs> yeah don't get fucking greedy yeah one a month well like a performing monkey no don't answer that question yeah <laughs> like a monkey
1: you can send us corrections addendums corrigendums if we get something yeah. wrong which obviously doesn't happen
4: no very rare um, focus chi requests oh right yeah we we've have got, got one, one. I we going to do that now? Well, you said it. So right now, I know, but I thought we were just doing <laughs> housekeeping. Are we
1: actually going to yeah. do that? Okay. Uh, I, I do it when it's mentioned. So okay. we did have a Focus Chi request. This is from Nicholas, and his Focus Chi request is as follows. Can I put in a request for me to find some remote work to keep me ticking over whilst I'm traveling? Cheers. Okay. I think we can do that as a community, can't we? Yeah. Close your eyes. Yeah, close your eyes. Focus in. Focus Chi is coming your way, Nicholas, now
4: i hope that helps that was a hard one uh you can leave us a review on itunes yeah uh, tell us about your review and then i can read it out that's my job it's your job it's my job Uh, you can buy some merch from the amish loot chest
1: yeah if you want a current great t shirt, literally a communist hoodie. Yeah. Three weeks to flatten the earth t shirt or mug. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get a cut of that and it helps the running costs. This mm. isn't a free podcast. It's a value for value podcast. Yeah. It's not free, it costs money and we we need your support to keep it going. Uh what else can you do on Discord? Anything much? Oh subscribe to YouTube and obviously. Oh yeah. The sub, sub and like. Yeah, if you want to see how the sausage is made. Mm. Um, go to YouTube for the guest interviews if you want the full video. That's on Odyssey where it is allowed because they don't censor people.
2: Anything else?
4: Mm-hmm. I could like
2: uh, maybe gently push some currency our way. Toss a coin, bitches.
5: Toss a coin to your witcher. Oh Do it for the lads. lads, lads, lads,
1: because oh, we're northern and we're bloody Toss miserable and the weather's fucking witcher, shit. Yeah, if you go to thearmistinquisition.com, you'll find the PayPal donate button there, and you can give us a one off, sign up for a monthly recurring sustaining donation. Donations over the value of fifty pounds or equal to the or equal and above the value of fifty pounds will grant you the rank of executive producer for that episode. So help us out. All the new guys yeah. out there can Save Plotland and keep the shit show running. Okay, shall we thank the producers for episode two hundred and ten? Shall we? Let's do it. Who do we have? We have Nomi Nosnodge, Nicholas, Lee from The Big Conspire, Slicko, Anonymous and Helen from Bardshire. Thank you so much. You're so amazing in your love.
4: They are. Yeah. So
5: amazing in their love. Literally. The best mate.
0: Best mate.
5: a miracle the dwarf, the, the carrots, carrots the grape the homophobe the wind the asna the crop up
0: chance the number 11 the blind man
4: the fallen on the horizon
2: the cripple and the mother of
5: from hell I don't get it I never will it's time to big up the man Dems yo
1: <laughs> yeah thanks for your support for another week um it's much appreciated.
4: Yeah, we love the support, man.
1: Yeah, couldn't do it without you. No. literally, literally couldn't do it without you. No, yeah, we uh, only have
4: three pairs of ears and eyes. Yeah, so you know, I I hadn't heard of uh, Uncharted X before someone mentioned him in the Discord, and you know, um, and I I've thoroughly enjoyed the videos that I've watched of his, and he's been so kind to come on.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Big up the the mandem, the Uncharted mandems. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
4: Okay. Testing, testing,
6: testing. News, test, 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 test. What the fuck? Flu in the face. COVID nineteen news. People have got to understand. Vaccination is going to be, in the end, your route to liberty. The magic vaccine. A big fat shot in the ass from hell. Oh. You know, it's just, you know, super painful. Like a judgment day intimidating, mostly. I'll get the vaccine. You fucking leave me alone. Uh, The
1: new mask regulations are back in uh, the UK as of Tuesday. That's right. I thought I'd tell you my personal experience. Mm -hmm. Where I've been since Tuesday. Uh, I've been to Argos, Screwfix, Booths. I kept a log. Argos, Screwfix, Booths, Aldi. One stop, River Island, next, Marks and Spencer's, Clark's, and the Vets. Mm-hmm. And the only place where I was asked about a muzzle was the Vets. Right, okay. Um not there's no issue. It's like they're not they're not even got a
4: doorman on. No, not anymore. I don't think like they, they used yeah, to.
1: Yeah, no. Other oh, like the big supermarkets used to have a guy stood at the entrance.
4: Yeah, saying can you put a mask? Put, on you put
1: your fucking muzzle on. <laughs> But they're not even bothering with that anymore.
4: No. uh, It seems
1: quite strange, doesn't it, having it just in retail and a few other settings
4: and not in hospitality. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's just bizarre, isn't it? I don't get it. Yeah.
1: It's a visual reminder that there's something happening, otherwise you wouldn't know about it, I think. That's the gist.
4: I suppose, yeah.
1: Uh, do you want to move on to Omicron? Oh, if we have to, yeah. let's work our way through this fucking COVID. Omicron. Oh, I've got a, I've got a little uh, report from Dicevella. Oh yeah, the yeah. W about the deadly variants or political scarians. Mm.
7: The International Monetary Fund is warning that the new Omicron coronavirus variant is likely to delay the global economic recovery from the pandemic. The fund is expecting to downgrade its forecasts for world growth this year and next. And that's even though the World Health Organization says it has no evidence yet of any deaths connected to Omicron.
4: Yeah, and you know, we've talked about this, haven't we, for three years now, whatever it is, two years Um, That, you know, economic issues are like the biggest cause of health problems. Yep. Moving on. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of people starve every year. Exactly, yeah.
1: And our reaction to the pandemic has only exacerbated that. Yes. I I think it runs
4: into the millions a year people starve in the developing world. Uh, yeah, and he said, didn't he, he said right at the beginning, the guy came out and said, you know, we're, you know, we're estimating however many people are going to die and mm. sort of the restrictions are going to cause, you know, hundreds of thousands more of people just to die of starvation. You know? Yeah.
1: Anyway, the uh, the report goes on to talk about increased hospitalizations and kids and people getting reinfected. Mm. Uh, but it it finishes on a happy note, though.
7: But of course, Omicron is the latest in a string of coronavirus mutations since the start of the pandemic. Do we need to prepare ourselves for a potentially never-ending series of new mutations? Or, you know, is there anything that governments around the world could be doing better to try and bring this to an end?
2: That's what flu is. Well, what's very clear is that as long-
1: that's what flu is.
2: Yeah, sorry, I thought the clip had ended. He said never-ending series of mutations. You know, there's new mutations of flu every year. You know, you have to... If if what we want and what we probably will do is, is you know, create these new vaccines every year for, for a new strain of, of coronavirus, that's exactly what they do with flu currently. Um, so maybe they're right. Maybe it will go that way. I was just agreeing with them. Really, All
1: right. whatever you're clicking, <laughs> stop clicking it.
2: <laughs> he just, oh yes,
1: who do you think you are, Mel Gibson?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> there is um, there's an argument I've heard just this week about not making vaccines for variants. Right. Okay. Um, if you think of the 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 evolution of the virus as being akin to a tree, so the Wuhan variant would be the trunk, and then different variants branch off.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And they branch off this way, and that way, and that way. If you vaccinate everyone against this outlying branch of a mutation here, um, you could have a variant come from this other side of the tree, which yeah. would which would give you a, a reduced right protection.
4: So, what should you be doing? vaccinating against the roots.
2: Yeah, at the trunk.
4: Well, that's what would well, well before uh, the trunk.
2: In this metaphor, though, the vaccine only attacks the bark.
0: <laughs> yeah. You want
2: really something to attack the roots, and that's not what the vaccine does.
1: Right. Okay. No, it's, they're very narrowly focused on the spike protein. Okay. Aren't they? Yeah, let's... Uh, we might come back to this.
4: Okay. Teaser. Uh,
1: ben, last week you mentioned Hi. about this confusion between Fourth doses and boosters, and three dose, third dose and booster, and it it seemed to have been cleared up by the JCVI this week.
0: Really? Well, I've got it in the minutes.
1: No, they don't release them. No, it was at the press conference. They had uh, I can't remember his name the um, the head of the JCVI, Jonathan Van Tam, and the head, and the head of I think the NHS or a sports hole from the Public Health Security Agency, whatever. Three pronged. Mm. press conference and he mentioned the uh, head of the gscvi actually mentioned
6: this thing and i just caught it for rep- repetition prioritize now according to age with the booster dose given no sooner than three months after the second dose so that was part of the change this week that they're
1: reducing the um, gap between having your second dose and your booster mm-hmm. from a minimum of six months to a minimum of three months we right. will have heard about this it. been everywhere this week. Yeah. You don't have to wait six months anymore. You can have it after three oh, months.
4: Yeah, because it does it basically doesn't work anymore from the research. <laughs> is that what they said? It goes from ninety five to five in three months. No, nah, that's the J and J. Is it right? It goes down okay. to three percent, doesn't it? All
1: right, okay. Yeah, we don't use that one. No. But well, that's the impression I get, is that they don't have much faith in but them. Isn't, that's why they're rolling out pictures. Again,
4: isn't this this whole thing, this thing about Antibodies and T-cells and B-cells and all the rest of it.
1: This is what I'm concerned about, Mm. is this obsession with antibodies. Yeah. And they're using antibodies as a measurement. This isn't how vaccines are supposed to work. You're supposed to get the vaccine. Yeah. And then maybe a year later, maybe five years later, maybe six months later, you'll get exposed to the pathogen that you've been vaccinated against. Mm -hmm. And your body remembers the pathogen, and mounts an immune response from your memory, your immune memory. Mm -hmm. Now they're talking about antibody levels. We need to get people's antibodies levels Uh, up. This is fucking weird. This isn't right. This is new. Yeah, yeah. This thing where you have to have, we have to have constant levels of antibodies to fight off this coronavirus. I can't be the only person who thinks this is fucked up. There's something fucked up here that they're not telling us.
2: Not how I was taught science. (laughs) It's
1: it's not how it's supposed to work. Mm. I'm concerned that they're shitting themselves because they're starting to realise that they fucked up.
2: Probably that's a daily occurrence.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. We'll we'll see. Interesting stuff is going to come out of South Africa. There is. The new data came out today from South Africa,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it's good news on the Omicron. On the Omicron. So, oh, my God. Oh, very my God. <laughs> God. <laughs> the, the, This paper that came out in South Africa is saying that hospitalisations are lower lower yeah, yeah. than the Delta,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, less severe. Yeah. It all sounds really good. Mm-hmm. That's good. South Africa's vaccination rate is about 23%. Mm. at a minimum, 20% of the population has HIV, which completely compromises your immune system. Yeah, yeah. So I want to see what happens in the West. Mm. If we start having issues with hospitalisations, then I think we've got a big... We could have a massive problem on our hands. But it's too early to say... If South Africa's handling this well, despite having low vaccination rates and a population that's riddled with HIV, Mm. if Western countries start seeing their health systems collapse, I'm afraid it ain't going to be the virus, I don't think. But we reserve judgment, and I'm going to be watching it carefully because I'm, I'm starting to get concerned the way they're pushing the boosters and the antibodies. It makes no scientific sense. It's completely different from the way we treat anything else. I'm I'm concerned that they've figured something out and they're not letting on. But we shall wait and see. Sorry, that got serious. But it's because I care. <sighs> Let's move on. To the same press conference, because um, JVT, Jonathan mm-hmm. Van Tam, who's the deputy uh, medical officer. Is he deputy chief medical officer, I think? I think so, yeah. Yeah. He he sort of chaired this meeting, and it was when the JCVI released the new guidance for boosters, three-month window. We're going to give 16-, and 17-year-olds 17, 17 a second jab, blah, blah blah all the rest of it. And he's, he does this thing with football analogies. I don't know if you're familiar with it. No. All right, well, here he goes. What is it? It might be on the next page, actually. Is it JVT? Yeah, JVT football. Oh, I'm probably going to have to reset this clip. Just give me uh, two seconds. Okay, here he is. So, to me, and as you know, I love... And he's talking about the
5: vaccination in the context of a
1: new variant emerging.
5: Football. Um, we started with 11 players in the team with the Wuhan vaccine. And you could say that we've kind of picked up a couple of injuries when Alpha came along and then Delta Came along, uh, those variants that are slightly different from the Wuhan uh, original strain. And um, we've had to use our subs off the bench to keep us in the game, but we're well in the game. And you can see that with the current epidemiology in relation to Delta, that the vaccines are holding up very well and largely keeping us out of trouble. Now, Omicron is like now picking up a couple of yellow cards to key players on top. We may be okay, but we're kind of starting to feel at risk that we might go down to 10 10 players. He he, he nearly said 10 men then, and he stopped himself. Yeah. Can't say 10 men, 10 players. no. No, no, no. And if that happens, or if that's a risk that it's going to happen, then we need everyone on the pitch to up their game in the meantime. And that's really upping your game in terms of boosters and in terms of antibody responses. We're not going to wait for the red... Again, with the antibodies, antibody mm. responses. Mm. ...card to happen. We're going to act decisively now. And we're asking everyone to up their game... Um, we're asking everyone to play their part in the urgency now of the booster programme. Coming forward the moment you are called by the NHS.
2: I feel like I no longer understand the offside rule. I need JVT to explain it to me. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's just so patronising. So patron—I have, have to find it incredibly <laughs> patronising. In what way? that no, to...
2: because it's only idiots who haven't been vaccinated yet <laughs> so he's appealing to the masses. <laughs> the way he has
1: to use fo- you know using football analogies just tell us the f- tell us why you're so obsessed with fucking antibodies j v t it's 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 not it's uh, what's the word not childlike it's uh... i
4: mean it wasn't anyway just talking about antibodies did he not this thing you know that study they've been doing with infant infantile infantilism Come on, sorry.
1: Come on. <laughs> I just
4: remembered the word. kind of. Antibodies. Yeah, you know when the the uh, I don't know is sending it out from the government basically, and they, you know uh, sending out random letters to random people, and then like they make um, something up, but they you know they do some like stats, and it can say how many people, how percentage of the population have COVID. Yeah, 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 Um Didn't they say that nine? They it's est- in the nineties. Ninety-five percent of the population has covid antibodies anyway it's in the early 90s i think so way. what why are we stressing if everybody has an, like 95 percent of the population or early 90s popu- of the population has antibodies this to is why i'm worried the virus
1: i'm worried that people have had their immune systems compromised mm-hmm. and they they're terrified right and this is the only fucking if you have a hammer everything looks like a nail it's the only thing they have hmm maybe it's more prosaic maybe it's just that they have fucking mountains of supply that's going out of date and they have to use it so they don't throw it in the bin that's
2: what happened with swine Flu.
4: yeah so it's yeah. That, but the other thing as well is i think you know i often think about this and what Mallon said right at the beginning which is it, it's even though it's not right but it's the um they taking the the path of least harm is that what he said Mm. And, like, you know, this... this In one way, you can say, well, you know, we, we made sure we covered our arses by making everyone get vaccinated, but, you know, least harm around maybe COVID, but not the bigger picture around it, I guess. Other
1: part of the political thing is being seen to do something. Yeah. Um, not acting isn't mm. a political thing. No, yeah. That's why we all went into lockdown. That's why we yeah. didn't all follow what Sweden did. Yeah. Because... The cost of not acting, if you mm. get it wrong, yeah, is great. massive. Mm. The, the cost of overreacting is massive. Yeah. But you don't pay a political price for it in the same yeah, way. Yeah,
4: exactly, yeah, I suppose. You know,
1: mm-hmm. we're run by donkeys, unfortunately.
4: <laughs> well, that's a nice way of putting Bojo, isn't it?
1: Yeah, speaking of him, uh, this came up this week. This is from the Bojo press conference, again from this week.
5: And the best way—I
1: don't know why it's in one channel. It should be in. It should come in both ears on the audio. But anyway, we can all show
5: our gratitude is by doing our bit and stepping forward when our time comes to get that booster. I've been waiting uh, patiently for for my moment to come, and it's happening on Thursday. I'm pleased to say. Uh, so, whenever your turn comes, get your booster and ask your friends and your family. To do the same.
1: You
2: guys booster on Thursday. Eh? Sorry, go on, Ben. You spend a lot of time talking about the people who uh, couldn't get vaccines, whatever, not because they chose not to, but they couldn't because they have medical conditions that wouldn't allow them to have vaccines. All that's gone out the window now. So, everyone, if I had a medical condition, I couldn't have the vaccine. And uh, I've got Bojo just saying everyone must go and get the booster all the time. That's a bit exclusionist as well, isn't it? I mean it's not everyone can have the vaccine. Is it and is not it, everyone chooses to have the vaccine.
1: Is that because you have is that people who have like an uh, allergic to one of the um components of the vaccine.
2: Yeah, so like historically with classically created vaccines you would have problem if you were allergic to eggs which is probably quite a quite a wide um I I'm like allergic prevalence. to I'm
1: allergic to nanobots that's why I'm not getting it. <laughs>
2: So, yeah, don't go near any 5G towers.
1: <laughs> so is that, is that the case? Are some people allergic to what? Well, if they're allergic to the mRNA vaccine, why can't they get the AstraZeneca or vice versa? I'm
2: not sure it's, not sure it's as clear because it's allerg- allergies. Um, right.
1: what, what would be other medical reasons to make you unable to get
4: vaccinated?
2: Like super hard skin. I don't know. <laughs> um, I think like, like
4: people... Well, Are there any? In. I don't know.
2: There'll be some preservatives, I imagine, in in all the vaccines.
4: There was originally vegans, wasn't there? There was something <laughs> with like vegans or something. They couldn't have it because they had something
2: bothering a bit.
4: Yeah, chimp, chimpanzee. Dude. I think is it not something about is one of them not from uh, fetuses or something.
1: Um, the Pfizer There's... used these fetal cell lines in the development. Right, it's okay. not in the actual vaccine.
4: So there might be some people who
1: do it on religious grounds, maybe? Oh, no, yeah, but it's the medical thing I'm interested in. Why would people be unable to take uh-huh. it on medical grounds? I would imagine that one of the vaccines know. would fit. But maybe I'm wrong.
2: I don't know. I'm, I'm going to do some homework for next week.
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe there is some sort of... Maybe there is one element that is in all... The three that we use here, Mm. which which rules them out, but I mean it's a vanishingly. I wonder if, like, your immune
4: compromised.
2: Oh, they have to get get it more.
4: Well, no, but I'm just wondering if you're so compromised that it, you know, it could damage you or something, so you wouldn't have it.
2: Or if you have like a hyperactive immune system, where if you trigger an immune response, you're going to end up Mm. with autoimmune concerns.
4: Mm.
1: (coughs) Maybe, maybe, yeah. Like lupus or something. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, The reason I played the clip, uh, Bojo got his booster on Thursday. Yeah. Do do we not remember him almost dying? Yeah.
4: I know, yeah, I was thinking about that. Yeah, what about it? I
2: think COVID.
4: Why why are we wasting a vaccine dose on him? Well, because even people who've had COVID should get vaccinated, shouldn't they? Why? Why? I don't know why. But, that, yeah, but You've got to have your antibody levels yeah.
2: up all the time. <laughs>
4: my wife knows. Oh, <laughs> this is new. This is new and weird. Yeah, I know. I know it's my... Uh, well, actually, my... When I, again, for this job, I think it was this job, I mean now, or this employer, Um, I told them I'd had um, mumps and they said, no, yeah, you still got to have your MMR, basically. But that's... Probably box ticking.
2: Yeah, you are yeah, yeah. measles or rubella, though, have you? So
4: No. But uh, you know, I could have could have had it, could have insisted I had it separately and they give me a, an antibody, whatever they do. I don't know how they test for it. Yeah, do a separate one, yeah. Um Yeah. I had something sure. I was gonna say, but it's gone out of my head now. Continue. It's all right. Uh
1: just on autoimmune conditions, uh Vanden Vandenbosch has been back on on the uh, YouTube's. Who's that? It's the uh, Belgian immunologist and vaccinologist who worked for, we read out a laundry list of his CV, he worked for Bill and Melinda Gates, Gavi, yeah. s- all sorts of uh, pharmaceutical companies who came out about, who was concerned about effects of mass vaccination yeah. and he's, <clears throat> he's back on the scene for some reason. Before, <laughs> Just before Om-
6: Omicron right. landed, I've just got a little clip here. And, and that leads, of course, to apoptosis, cells die, and there is debris. And this debris, these are de- degraded proteins or uh, degraded structures. They are no longer identical to self, but they are self-like. Well, these antibodies, these naive antibodies are capable of recognizing these self like structures to eliminate them because if they would become more foreign, they could be recognized by T-cells, by B-cells, etc. So this is a very, very important function. So as I was saying, in the vaccinated children, no training, the acquired antibodies cannot do anything, but I have frequent and repeated encounter with the pathogen and so what these naive cells do is that they will simply secrete more self-like antibodies. And because the concentrations become very high, the self-like antibodies can now start to recognize self-structures. And Philip, very seriously, very seriously, I am convinced, I'm convinced that immunizing young children for that very reason Will lead to a tsunami of autoimmune diseases. I'll
1: put the link in the show notes. That was like 55 minutes into the video of him explaining how this mechanism works and why he's kind of petrified. Right. But um, it's, you know, it's interesting sort of counterpoint to what we get fed from uh, JVT and whatever. Mm it's funny, he did uh, with this, this guy called, uh, he's a doctor in the UK called Phil Philip McMillan. Mm. And he did the like the first interview with this guy, which blew up on all the alternative social uh, video platforms like Odyssey and <coughs> brand, brand new Tube and all these other things. And uh, he did a round table. Uh, this Phil McMillan hosted a round table with like uh, another four vaccinologists, immunologists, epidemiologists. Uh, he had one, an English guy. An American woman, a German, Geert van den Bosch, who's uh, Belgian. And like the, they were going to and fro about different ways things were interacting and ways forward. And the only, the main thing that they agreed upon, the consensus at the end was stop vaccinating people immediately.
0: All right. Okay. It's
1: pretty wild. And I, if I remember, I'll put the link to that on the show notes as well because uh, it's interesting it's interesting uh, I hope they're wrong but we shall see I don't know Should we move on to something lighter
7: please now how far will an anti-vaxxer go to avoid getting the COVID-19 shot well ah. this next story pretty much answers that question
3: this is pretty dumb. I saw this today. It was so crazy and so dumb. Uh, this is true story out of uh, Italy. A guy wore this, a fake arm prosthesis, in order to—he tried to get the, the jab. He wanted the vax pass in Italy, but he didn't actually want— <laughs> the, the the jab he was anti-vax so he wore this thing of course the nurse she didn't fall for it she knew right away something wasn't right and you know it would be funny right
1: the language is really interesting he didn't want the jab so he's anti-vax yeah he's already said dumb twice see you can't count how many mm-hmm. times he uses the word dumb mm-hmm. to describe uh, the story it's interesting how the how language is manipulated
3: if it wasn't for a very serious matter we know vaccines work and in some parts we of the world people have no okay. access to them at all yet here's this guy trying to avoid it can you be- they work so
1: well you need one every three months <laughs> yeah we know vaccines work hmm
3: yeah. okay well, you'd spend hundreds of dollars oh on a silicone God. thing like that Melissa
6: that is doing the most it's doing the absolute most just to <laughs> avoid getting the vaccine I can't even believe someone would go that far unreal Pretty dumb. <laughs> Pretty. unreal
1: Pretty good. Good story. I like that one. Yeah. Did you see it reminds
2: the... me of uh league of gentlemen that guy gets the uh, the the wrong arm on.
1: <laughs> Have you seen a picture of the suit? Like the, the torso silicon or to- it's like ripped. It's like, it's...
0: <laughs>
1: what was he thinking?
0: 50-year-old like guy. I've got
1: Where is it? Oh my God! So determined was he to dodge the jab, but still obtain a health pass. The anti-vaxxer may have paid hundreds of euros for the silicon prosthetic. The bizarre episode at a vaccine hub in Biella, a town close to Turin, Turin is the northern in the northern Piedmont region, came a week after Italy announced measures bar- barring unvaccinated people from a host of social, cultural, and sporting activities.
2: It's a little bit serious again, but if he if he could be absolutely terrified of having the vaccine does not want to have the vaccine he might have you know he might have gone down a rabbit hole and and you know really studied and come to the conclusion that he personally doesn't want to have that vaccine because he's worried about you know heart inflammation or brain tumors or whatever all this all these side effects that that are are known if rare but If he's judged that to be a high risk to him, then you know he's he's being not allowed to do whatever it is he needs to do with his his covid pass so he's gone to that that length to try and to try and avoid the vaccine just so he can kind of live his life he might have he might have had to go traveling with work and would lose his job if he didn't mm-hmm. if he didn't have the vaccine or or didn't have the pass anyway.
0: Mm.
2: But if you're absolutely terrified to the point that you'll go to those lengths, I think that that needs perhaps discussing. He's, I don't think he's a, a joker who's come straight off a QAnon rally and, and wrapped his arm in tinfoil or whatever and tried to get a vaccine. He's, he, he could have been seriously disturbed by the whole prospect of it. And I think to make light of it is a little bit disingenuous.
1: It's just a dumb dumb anti-vaxer. Hear it,
2: and he might be, but uh, chances are he he could also be a terrified uh, fifty-year-old man.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think to go to those lengths, I think Mm -hmm. you're right. You know, he's obviously he's 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 going to any lengths to avoid taking it for Mm -hmm. whatever reason. You know,
2: yeah, but But tough anti vaxxer just first think of forging the um, the COVID pass. I don't
1: whatever way like, there must be ways of doing it it's technology isn't it it's all QR codes and stuff I don't know how it works <sighs> QR
2: codes I don't know it's just dots
1: isn't it uh, after completing the bureaucratic formalities including signing a consent form in front of a doctor the man aged 50 sat down lifted up the, sh- the sleeve of his <laughs> shirt as he prepared for a health worker to administer the jab <laughs> initially the health worker did not notice anything odd as the silicone looked similar to skin but after taking a close look and touching the arm the medic asked the man to take off his shirt. Oh, dude. His plan foiled. The man, who has not been named, then tried to persuade the health worker to turn a blind eye. Well, you would, wouldn't you? I felt offended as a professional, Philippe Buar told La Repubblica. The colour of the arm made me suspicious, and so I asked the man to, uh, man to uncover the rest of his left arm. Is he f-
4: French or is he Italian?
1: It was well made, but it wasn't the same colour. <laughs> Different colour skin.
4: Uh, Like you get your accents, all your accents from aloe hello." (laughs) The man said to her, would you have imagined I'd have such a physique? (laughs) She told
1: the stampers she could not see the man's veins. (laughs) At first, I thought I made a mistake that it was a patient, but that it was a patient with an artificial arm. It's not clear whether he was wearing a whole fake arm or some kind of silicone layer over his skin. Mm. Blah 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 goes on and on, but yeah, it's quite an interesting one. That
2: well, at least he got in the papers.
4: He did, yeah.
1: Well, he didn't even get named.
4: Yeah. They'll, uh, oh. they'll find him like on? ten thousand euros now, <laughs> won't they? As well. Or Are they finding him? I don't know. Probably. Oh,
2: yeah. Probably. I don't. I don't agree with that.
1: Probably send him to an internment camp.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <Is that laughs> <man? No.
4: laughs> Covid re-education camp.
2: Yeah.
1: Anyway, yeah, the new year is upon us. There's only one question on everyone's lips.
7: What will the Wuhan virus do in
1: 2022? <laughs>
2: what will it do in 2022? I um, don't
1: know. What have we got? Ro, Phi, <laughs> Pi. <laughs> that was uh, my, my favourite anchor, Palki Sharma, from yeah. uh, World in One News, We On News. Mm-hmm. Let's have a... I'll play the rest of the clip.
7: And a sizable population has got at least one shot injected into their arms. It's a start. But it's not enough to contain a constantly mutating virus. So starting 2022, vaccines may become an annual thing. Adar Poonawala, the Serum Institute chief, says... We would need at least one to two booster shots every year for the next 10 years. A decade later is when we are likely to become as immune to the Wuhan virus as we are to the common cold right now. In the meanwhile, we would need to continue taking an annual COVID shot. Pfizer CEO Albert Bourla agrees. You could call it a pharma conspiracy, but what choice do we have at this point? we
2: mm. like... still call it a Wuhan virus. <laughs> Yeah,
1: it's, it's India. It's an Indian news channel. Right. Every opportunity to, to remind people oh, that of it came, course, from, came yes. from China. Yeah there's, yeah,
2: there's a bit of animosity. Yeah, so yeah. I forgot my global politics there for a moment. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's quite funny. She's uh, good. It's good value, Palki. My favorite anchor.
4: <laughs> Definitely. That's depressing, isn't it? If we're going have to have 10 years. Nah, they'll get bored of it before then, I'm hoping expensive isn't it that's the thing one hope you've got
1: (laughs) how expensive it is I'll just remind you that people who had SARS-CoV-1 are immune from SARS-CoV-2 yeah right so yeah if this is going on next year then something's gone very badly wrong as, as, far in, as, like, as in, people's in, immune in,
4: systems in, in the population. Yep. Being people being people being hop- hospitalized, hospitalized. Yeah. What's the hospitalization figures like now? It's falling in the UK. Is that a lot? Or?
2: No, it's not as much as it was. Right. Okay. The trend. That's the good.
1: trend is down.
4: Right. Okay. Good. How I many didn't... people have got flu? None. <laughs> is that being cured again.
1: I mean, it's more than last winter. Right, okay. But, you know, it's not a concern. Right. It's not anything to worry about.
4: So, COVID- less, less dry tinder, I'm afraid. Yeah, COVID's the main one in the in the virome, is it called? Right. Yeah, I know viromes. All uh, right. <laughs> All right, shall
1: we queer it up? Yeah. It's time <laughs> to queer up the news. It's- um, did you hear about Cheryl? Cheryl Cole? What's her real name now, Cheryl? Something.
4: She had a weird name.
2: Tweedy her Hernandez.
4: Tweedy was her maiden name. It was. <laughs> but was I, don't, I don't. She, she was, she was ever, never a maiden. <laughs> I don't think she ever um, changed it back from Cole.
1: All oh, right. Um, Cheryl's attempt to step back into the spotlight uh, ends in disaster.
4: Oh no! As tone
1: deaf BBC R and B series is axed early. What's this? Cheryl's attempt at reinventing her career as a podcaster has ended in disaster, (laughs) as her series has been axed after just four episodes. The Girls Aloud star was announced as a host of a 12-part show for the BBC called You, Me and R&B with Cheryl, (laughs) although only a handful of episodes aired. Now those have been deleted from BBC Sounds I
4: want them now, I want
1: them (laughs) and and further episodes have been abandoned. On Friday after The Sun approached reps for Cheryl and the BBC about this story, she rushed out a statement on Instagram insisting it was her decision not to continue with the (laughs) series but she didn't mention why the original episodes had mysteriously been deleted
4: So, are you going to tell us why?
1: The BBC was branded tone-deaf for choosing her to host the series, with many claiming it should have been by a black presenter instead. Oh, oh.
2: cultural appropriation.
1: Critics said it was an especially poor choice of hers given Shell's conviction of assaulting a black nightclub toilet attendant in 2003. Yes, I remember that now. Nearly 20 years ago. Yeah. On Friday, she wrote, I decided not to record the last few episodes. It didn't feel right. To is it again. <laughs> <laughs> a shame. It's another poorly judged move for Cheryl, who has been flogging health supplements on Instagram in recent months after her chart career dried up.
4: Right. So it was it was tone deaf because she's white. All white. Oh, right. Not because of the content.
1: Oh no, there's nothing wrong with the content. Right. Okay.
4: So it's just cultural appropriation. I mean she, she The be- message. You've got to be with the message. Yeah, but she's got she's she's allowed to talk about R and B isn't she?
1: Oh, but she shouldn't be paid money and being being like given a figurehead leading role. You know, this should have been She can talk why, about it if she likes it though, can't she? Yeah, but why they hide? Yeah, she can talk about it, but they hired her and they're paying her lots of money to do this thing. Right, okay. She's giving it to a poor black person. Okay. That's the insinuation, isn't it?
4: Well, maybe not a poor one. They probably would have given it... But that's it like... what they think. That's what the
1: th- is in their head. Right, okay. It's fundamentally racist, isn't it? In what way? Rather than giving it to her, they mm-hmm. should have given it to a black person. Because they're black. Because they're black. Right, okay. Yeah. But, yeah. Okay. Because of the, the level of melanin in the skin, they mm-hmm. would be a better host of this podcast. Right, it's yeah. nonsense. It's divisive. Mm-hmm
2: you know what i've taken away it from would have been shit anywhere that, <laughs> the, the you know the key message is that the Amishing position are a far more successful podcast than yeah. whatever that one was with Cheryl Cole
1: Hey, it's that start like 90% of podcasts don't get past episode 7 exactly she's a statistic
4: now I know Cheryl yes. she's 210 episodes in <laughs> and 40 honorable episodes What did you make? Prior to that.
2: Well, Cheryl, I mean, you know, sorry, sorry about that, but you're more than welcome to apply to come on to be a guest of the Amish
4: Inquisition. I'm not really sure there's much to talk about.
1: Maybe we should get our people to talk to
4: her people. Yeah. And set it up. (laughs) Gets uh, Helen Helen from Berkshire to do it. I think uh, Cheryl might live down there somewhere. Yeah, I'd give her a platform.
2: Really?
1: What do you make of the woman who was wrongly given seven hundred and seventy thousand pounds by oh.
4: HMRC? That was an unbelievable oh. story, there wasn't it? And you know, did you read the article? Have you read it yeah. in the Guardian? So, it, yes, uh, they said, didn't they? They said at the towards the end or halfway through, kind of, um, because it it was never accounted for, <laughs> and she got to the end of the financial year. If she hadn't have told them, they probably would have never known.
2: Never have known probably pass that on to a kid.
4: Mm. So, like, some people were saying, weren't they, to buy like uh cryptocurrency? No, don't do that. Um, <laughs> and then, like, you know, you just keep the profit, give the rest back. Um, and, and then what was the other one?
2: Buy property, on oh,
4: yesterday, yesterday, yeah, land,
1: land yeah,
4: yeah. Lamp, yeah, yeah. Um, but that would have been, I mean. I think it would have been virtually impossible to track her if she'd have put all of her money into something and gone completely cash. In, started withdrawing all that money and then just lived off cash. Bought gold. Disappeared with her child. She had a child, though, so that makes it a bit more difficult. She
1: probably could have disappeared. Yeah. You know, to like Switzerland or somewhere.
4: Yeah. It's like, you know, 50 grand a year. Um, That's 10... No, it's not enough, is it? <laughs> <laughs> You'd have to invest, wouldn't you? you yeah, invest. that's the
0: thing. I'd get a
2: return. Yeah. It's something that pays dividends, like yeah. a, create a passive income. Rent.
4: Yeah. yeah, rent's one, isn't it? Yeah, rent's good. Rent, yeah. Um I remember once when we were doing uh, this must have been in the nineties, doing G C S E maths. And they were talking about if you won the lottery, they're like talking about percentages. And it was that you used to get 5%. Remember you used to get 5% interest on in a current account? Yeah,
2: Halifax used to have a big advert.
4: Yeah, and uh, you put your money in a current account, and get 5%. It was like 50 grand a year, wasn't it? I remember them. Mm-hmm. So that's the only bit of maths I can remember. <laughs> like, Fucking hell, if I win a million pound, I'd be on 50 grand a year for not doing that's it. That's
2: the interest. Yeah, exactly. Can't
4: do that now. No. No, you're losing money. You're going to charge, some places charge you now, don't they? Well, yeah, for a bank account, yeah. What's inflation at now in the UK?
1: Well, it's 4.2. Heading...
4: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And
1: it's heading to 5 next year. Yeah. Yeah, and you're getting zero in the bank, so you're mm-hmm. losing money hand over fist every minute. Yeah.
4: Yeah. So what would you have done then? I'd have just kept them. Fucking hell. She contacted them twice. She rang them several
1: times. Didn't yeah. You say? yeah, so you've done your bit, yeah. and then if then I would have started investing it. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I'd have invested everything it on away. everything on
1: black, <laughs> everything on black.
2: If that you invest with a return, though, you could you could have had some sort of income from it. That's so so I mean, you were earning yeah. ten grand a year from that. Yeah, that's ten grand that the HMRC aren't going to need back, mm. and you could still <laughs> give them the lump sum. If they knock on the door immediately, and you're yeah. like, they're likely to have asked for it immediately. <sighs> but if they were never going to come, I mean, if you're if you're investing wisely, and then you take that ten grand that you've made and invest that in something else, and you know, you're mm. just working on the interest, you could probably generate another seven hundred fifty thousand by the time the HMRC yeah. come knocking on the door. It's a lot
1: easier to make money when you already have it
4: that's exactly that's the thing yeah. is what's the easiest way to make a million pounds is to have start a million pounds start with two start with two and yeah. lose a million well no just you know have a million to invest
2: so you can't do what I've just suggested with 75 quid <laughs> no we'd all be doing it right <laughs> yeah
4: exactly yeah, yeah. 750,000 mm. we dicks alright let's move on oh we've got more right yeah. I, I thought that was I thought you was you just like Lubin is up for the ending there. Nah. That's normally what happens with the, when we clear up the news. I want
1: to <laughs> I wanna go back to... The strokes. I want Pal- to go back to Palki. Palki Sharma. I I'm going to say Palpatine. Um, <laughs> she did a, a really cool story on birth rates this, this week. Oh.
7: Hello and welcome to Gravitas Plus. I'm Palki Sharma Upadhyay. I hope you had a great week.
1: Yes, I, I did. Thank <laughs> you. Thank thanks. you, Palki. It was wonderful.
7: Came across three very interesting headlines this week. So I thought, why not talk about them? <laughs> This is the first one. China's birth rate plunges to its lowest in four decades. The second one reads, More Americans say they're not planning to have a child. The third and the last headline is from India. For the first time ever, India's fertility rate is below replacement level. What's replacement level? 2.1. It basically means every woman should have 2.1 children if a country is to replace its dying population.
4: Because it takes two to tango, yeah. That's pretty logical, isn't it? 2.1. Yeah, and then the point 0.1 is for all the... The extra. ...extra deaths and, bit and of pe- extra. people get run over and stuff.
1: Yep. But
7: for they're the first the time spare. ever...
4: Hmm?
2: Sorry. The air the spare.
4: Exquisite timing <laughs> as always, Ben.
2: I thanks.
7: <laughs> <laughs> An average Indian woman is not having more than two children. First time ever. And neither mm. are women in most of the world's leading countries. South Korea is one of the world's most advanced economies. The country's fertility rate is one. one. One? Meaning an average South Korean woman has one child. Many don't have children at all. In Singapore, the fertility rate is 1.1. In Hong Kong, too, it is 1.1. 1.3 in Spain. 1.3 in Italy. 1.5 in Canada. In America, there are just 1.7 births per woman. And so is the case in China. So he has a question. Why aren't women having more babies?
4: Phil Gates, man. Oh, I thought you were going to line in something up.
2: There was, a, there was something linking France's declining facility with secularism in the 18th century. Um. But I'm just gonna to have to leave you with that tantalising because I've, <laughs> I've not got the whole article with me. It was in the Guardian today, but that was quite interesting.
4: Well, yeah, uh, this is but it's a problem, though, isn't it? When the birth rate starts declining, you know, who's going to pay for all the old people? Yeah, we need we need we need a great reset. Exactly. That's what we need. Yeah, exactly. The
1: pandemic is a fantastic opportunity. <laughs>
6: For a great
4: reset. Now you That's just sound film like film. you're like um, one of the people from the trade De- delegation and the Phantom Menace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the weird boogie-like ones that have a Japanese vibe. <coughs> mm, no,
1: that was so accurate. It's no. Almost as good as my Tom as as Tom. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh. <laughs> and, <laughs> I,
4: <laughs> and i thought the impressions were bad the first time
0: <laughs> oh my god
1: so we have no idea we have no idea why the birth rates um uh, declining maybe Palkey has some ideas what oh, was she going to say? There's more. There's more. Oh, maybe she has some <laughs> solutions. Okay.
7: Why aren't women having more babies? Isn't that what women did for the longest time? Marry, have babies, continue the bloodline. A childless woman was branded as barren. She was frowned upon. In ancient Rome, a woman could be divorced for not giving birth to a child. Infertile women were flogged with goatskin. skin. In Tang <laughs> Dynasty in China, too, not having a child was ground for divorce. In the Middle Ages, infertile women were called witches, compared to Satan. The only time history spared a woman without a child was when she had taken the vow of celibacy, when she was a nun. Motherhood was a moral obligation for all the other women. It's not anymore.
4: I just love it. I just, think she's a gem. Thank God this is not going on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's hardcore. We On on is the best news channel out there.
1: It's fantastic. Love it. We On and Deutsche Welle are just where you get your news.
4: Yeah. It's, you know. Weird in different ways. Witches. They were witches. I mean, yeah. But it's quite concerning, isn't it? If you know, like a huge country like India. How many of them is there? Like two billion or something.
1: We've, We've played the story before about microplastics, haven't we?
4: Mm-hmm. Oh, about oh, you yeah, know the yeah. fertility rates and stuff.
1: Yeah, fertility yeah. rates falling off a cliff because of our lifestyle. Yeah, yeah.
2: That's, uh, that's a likely factor. Could be. Yeah.
4: Just yeah. Need- <laughs> so everything's going to collapse basically because there won't be anyone to pay. Yeah, and then uh, then we can have lots of uh, the five minute city and the green agenda <laughs> and all the rest of it, can't we? That'll save us.
0: Yeah. Hopefully.
4: Yeah.
1: Oh, dear me. Um, Jordan B. Peterson is back. Is he yes. raging again? He uh, He did um, an address at the Cambridge Students' Union. Oh, did he, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was uh, like a interview, it's the wrong word. Interview slash Q&A sort of thing. I've just got this little clip, which I found. Uh, it's good to see he hasn't lost his sense of humour.
5: um, I've
4: got a million questions, but I do want to pass over to the audience. So I'll ask one more. Thank you all for coming, by
1: the way. Much
5: appreciated.
0: I've been unbelievably warmly welcomed here, which is pretty good for
3: a magical super Nazi. So
1: (laughs) (laughs) that was was a highlight. Was it right? the 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 magical super Nazi.
4: I think I saw a clip from that, and it was sort of under the title of "Unfortunately, Jordan B. Peterson." Annihilates lefty in audience. I can't remember what it was now. Tell you what it was.
2: Annihilates.
4: Yeah, no, it's that kind of language, isn't it? When it gets clipped. Clickbait. Yeah. yeah. Is what it is. Just feed. Yeah, of course it is. Yeah.
1: Okay. It's Christmas. Are we going to do Secret (laughs) Summer?
2: Yeah, we are. We need to. Should we do what we did last time and get. snodge. nodge. Oh,
1: right, we can't do it. I was going to, I was going to write it down, but you're not here. Yeah, we we'll, we'll just Pick. get we we'll get the the nodge. Get producer Nominals nodge to select. Yeah, to yeah. tell
2: us when are we going to? Uh, could we involve other people on the Discord?
1: In what way? Senders. to send so us, ask send if us. anyone's
2: interested in in joining the Secret Santa, it's the usual Secret Santa rules.
4: But um, you've got to send on the gifts. The to cost us. is.
2: Yeah, and then if they, if they want in, then they get into the pot. <coughs> and we randomise our selection, and all all gifts must arrive at the masteratorium for pre-screening.
4: It sounds like a lot of work, Ben.
2: Yeah, I don't That's
4: think you through. Have you? No, just I mean this now. You could like pair people up in the Discord, and then we don't have to do any admin.
1: No, I mean you're not you, even in the, in the Discord. And, you're not even in
4: it. <laughs> He is in it. He lurks, but he doesn't post. He's a lurker. Just like
2: with all social media.
4: He's a lurker.
2: Don't engage. Jeez. I don't understand what you mean. You don't understand the concept of Secret Santa?
1: Expanding to the Discord and then posting uh, things? What?
2: Well, it would just be Secret Santa, but with more than three of us. We include anyone who's interested in joining the Secret Santa on the Discord so we put the question out there say who wants to be in the Secret Santa if it's no one then it's just three of us that's per usual but if it's like three other people want to get in then there's six people in the pots, and we each get a random person and buy a gift for them
1: and then where do um, the gifts get sent
2: well our gifts would have to come to where you are now and then their gifts would have to tell us where they where they want them sent right
1: okay uh,
4: we
2: don't
1: what don't day? Have to we... If
2: it's too much hard work, mate.
1: <laughs> what day are we going to do the unwrapping?
4: Well, it's the only free day we've got. It's the nine, Not the nineteenth. books isn't it?
1: Yeah, we could do the nineteenth. It would be after the oh okay. interview. Yeah, be... yeah yeah So we've only got two yeah. weeks.
4: It'd we have to be the nineteenth then. We're having Boxing Day off, aren't we? Yeah. Oh,
1: thank
4: yeah. God. Thank God.
1: So we've only got two weeks to do it. To just two weeks.
4: Yeah, yeah if it's the nineteenth.
1: For...
2: Yeah,
4: that's what Amazon's all about.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: So when's the cut-off date for people saying that they want to be in on the? Well, Discord? I'll tell
2: you what. I'll I will engage with the Discord masses, <laughs> and <laughs> you you can do all
4: of the admin surrounding right, this I'll
2: find whole I will. thing. <laughs> I'll do that.
4: I, I'm just going to say. I have right, no
1: time for like I'm extra gonna, complications.
4: I'm just going to say right now, <laughs> I'm not posting stuff to people. We can't do it then. Let's not do it. It's, it's <laughs> we just, I just said you need to do all the admin. <laughs> in. And you, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Oh, you want me to <laughs> post stuff as well? <laughs> that's admin. <laughs> 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 not just writing a message in the Discord and then well, somebody else would, you know. Come on, Bojo. I've had a busy
1: week of podcasting this week.
4: Yeah.
1: I did uh, 13 questions podcast oh, on yeah. Saturday.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, our podcast on Sunday and I did Out of the Blank on Monday. I did three podcasts in three days. I can't get
4: enough of you, can he? No. And
1: I know. And I, I had to apologise because I was just fucked. I was low energy. Oh, right, okay. I couldn't, I uh, <laughs> could barely keep awake. Yeah. But, you know, well, tough shit, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, 13 questions was good. You should check that out. It's a good podcast. They have some interesting guys on there. Right, okay. Um, some pretty some guests we've had like uh, Jared Jared Murphy with the uh, polygonal masonry the Terra Preta the Black Soil he was um, on there um, who else have they had I
2: think they it's... had the Ghost Cheers guy on there <laughs>
1: <laughs> probably not, <laughs> probably, not. <laughs>
4: probably not yeah it was good I thought that was a very well thought out series yeah
1: <laughs> the ectoplasm the
4: ectos- yeah. spasm. <laughs> I love it yeah YouTube didn't no <laughs> um, <laughs> they <YouTube> did not <laughs> banned
1: <laughs> yeah it's the f- first one that was taken down yeah yeah anyway it's Christmas there's one rule that I'm going to live by this Christmas
0: take a trip to
2: Yeah,
1: I believe so, yeah.
2: <laughs> <Good. sighs> it's a bit of uh, a Monty Python vibe to it.
1: Yeah, the audio is terrible. The, uh, the <laughs> boomy, boomy piano. Mm. Need to. I could have made it so much better.
4: I'm going to have to go back to my, my eBay store for this year's uh, autographed photo, aren't I? Oh, fuck. Mm. <laughs>
1: Spo- oh, what weeks. makes you think you'll get me in Secret Santa you might get Rona Kesson <laughs> <laughs> or uh, Preston Garuda
4: have <laughs> uh, no, got sending them a signed photo of no, Terence and Darby you know every year you get a signed photo <laughs> every year yeah Richard O'Brien wonderful oh that's, that's... a good one I
0: <laughs> not
4: got that one no, we haven't got a we've, we've got to sue Patrick Stewart, though. That was a good one. To sue. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Right.
1: Is that all right. We're fucking off into the night. nothing yes. else to
4: do. Well, yeah, if we're finished. Might as well Hang
1: finish. <laughs> right. So uh, I guess we'll do this again next week, then, won't we? Is it Ryan? Yeah. I need to confirm, but, yeah, hopefully Ryan oh, said will right, be okay. back next week. Excellent. Part three. Of the deep dive. Yeah. All right, should we go then? Yeah. Yeah. onda forever.
2: Precious, everyone. Smip, smip, Epstein.
0: Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained?
2: I like what you got. Good job. I look
3: like a war hardened goblin? Well, he's dead, so, uh, you know, in general, you always have to be careful. Well, the thing is, what you do, you caught between the devil and the Rock, and a half place.
5: I got (laughs) Harry. Hello there. Cut off your genitals, gouge out your eyes, die! Fucking vegan. This is such a crock of. Cut a great shit.
7: What will the Wuhan virus do in 2022?
5: Kneel before Zod. Who'd you take it out, Save Plotland.